Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome into the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Michelle Smallman. Randy Carricker is out. Michelle, how are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing well, Kerry. Thanks for asking. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How's New York? We haven't talked much about New York at all. How is it going? Uh, You mean currently or just in general? Currently. Let's talk about the current. Let's live in the moment. Okay, well, currently it is absolutely beautiful in New York City. It was 70 degrees yesterday, an absolutely perfect fall day. And what I'm learning about New York carries that every, well, not everybody, but most people leave in the summer because it gets really hot and mm-hmm. sticky and congested. So a lot of people tend to um, evacuate the city during the summer. And in the fall, everyone is back. So that hustle, that bustle is back. And combining that with this beautiful weather that we've had, it's it's felt like the epicenter of the universe. Everybody is out. There's all of these things happening it's been really cool well i'm glad that you are enjoying it i'm glad that you're having a good time and i'm glad that you're here with us this whole week we've had an awesome week thus far let's continue it the houston astros tied up the series yesterday with a five to zero victory over the philadelphia phillies combined no hitter for the for the astros versus the phillies the thing got things rolling in the second in the fifth inning with a hit by pitch of alvarez to score their first run run in the in the fifth inning also a double by bregman to bring in two here's the 0-2 and he hits it the other way slices it to right and it's down and all the way to the fence altuve in to score pena in to score Alvarez stops at third. It's a two-run double for Alex Bregman, and the Astros have a 3 to nothing lead. As I said, Christian Javier got things rolling. Six innings pitch. Abreu came in with one inning. Montero came in for one inning, no hits. And then Ryan Presley came in to seal the deal uh, to finish off the game. Real Muto. Bouncing ball to third. Michelle, to bounce back from a a, a shellacking that they Mm -hmm. had last night, uh, the night before, to come back last night to go a to throw a combined no hitter uh, between four pitchers, score five runs, really take care of business versus that hot Phillies team. What are your thoughts about what happened, and and how do you see this series going uh, for the next couple of games? Well, first of all, this World Series has been awesome, flat out awesome. We've seen dominant performances from both sides. There's been a lot of drama, a lot of star power. It's been incredibly enjoyable to watch. There's a lot of storylines on both sides. But when you you come off of the power surge that we saw from the Phillies at at, uh, their home stadium, that crowd, that energy, you were wondering how the Houston Astros would respond. And you knew that they had the pitching depth to not 
uh, go away silently into the night. And that certainly exerted itself last night, Carrie. As you mentioned, Christian Javier, absolutely filthy. A performance for the ages, and he did it on the back of that forcing fastball that he has. I was reading about that pitch this morning, Carrie. There's there's certain games or, or certain situations where you can't wait to wake up and read about it. And mm-hmm. that's what I felt about Christian Javier and the performance that we saw from him last night because I knew that there was going to be uh, really great details that came out about it. And Jeff Passan had a great piece up this morning, and he had different players describe that that pitch. Here are some of the ways that uh, the opposing hitters have described Christian Javier's fastball. Obscene. It's a 94-mile-an-hour <laughs> fastball that looks 100. A third person deemed it invisible. It's so hard to hit, Carrie, and he really relied on it last night. He used that pitch basically the entire game, and uh, he he just looked absolutely unhittable. It was amazing, and um, it was one of those situations, too, where it really worked out for Dusty Baker because you wanted to obviously extend him as much mm-hmm. as you possibly could when he was lights out like that, but then you get the run support, as you mentioned, in the fifth inning to really determine to that you could feel safe enough, I guess, to pull him when you did and use the bullpen, which was... Amazing as well, combining for that no-hitter. Dusty Baker had a front-row seat to last night's game, and we had some thoughts on Christian Javier's performance. I had heard an interview by Joe Torre that game four is, is a, pitiful, a pivotal game in, the, in a seven-game series. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why we kind of wanted Javi pitching that, you know, that fourth game. And, uh, uh, you know, like, I mean, the guy was cool as if it was – June or July, and uh, you know that's how he is. And uh, I was glad that his, it, I heard his mom and dad were here from Dominican and got to see him pitch. And uh, you know it's always great when you do something in front of your your folks. And uh, I mean this is a world stage here. From people from all over the world are watching this, and uh, he certainly put himself on the map. You know what I, I just took away from that? I think Dusty Baker is really playing chess in this in this World Series. And I say that because people will look at, at Game 3 and they got beat up 7-0. to zero. And you may ask, well, why was McCullough still in the game? Well, it probably was because he didn't want to burn up his bullpen for what he said was a pivotal Game 4, the most, the most important game of the entire series because it's a swing game. If you go down 3-1, it's, uh, it's, it, the chances of, of winning that series are, are <laughs> really almost none. Uh, but to tie the series up 2-2, you really put yourself in a position where you know you got your ace starting tonight in Justin Verlander, and then you get to go home for game six. That may have been what he was doing, playing chess, understanding that I've been here before, don't panic, don't worry, and then to come out in game four and throw a combined no-hitter by his staff. I mean, I, I think Dusty Baker has learned a thing or two about this baseball game in all of his <laughs> years of, of playing and, and coaching. Uh, so I, I, I'm excited. As I said, I picked the Astros in six. Uh, I think my pick is still looking good. I, we'll see how it goes in game five tonight. But great game by the Astros yesterday uh, to get that win and tie that series up. But doesn't it feel like this series is destined to go seven? The way that this has been back and forth and, and you've seen both teams exert themselves in different ways. It just, at least to me, I'm hoping it goes to seven because I want to see as much of this as possible. But you mentioned the moves by Dusty Baker. We talked about um, Javier getting pulled when he did. He was pulled after throwing just 97 pitches, Kerry. Yeah. And he he had thrown 115 pitches earlier in the season in late June when he was part of that combined no-hitter at Yankee Stadium. But because of the run support that the Astros had provided him, Dusty was able to make that move 
pull him out of the game, and then he could potentially use him out of the bullpen later in the series, which is obviously such a weapon for the Astros. And I mentioned how many times that Javier leaned on that four-seam fastball last night. I couldn't find the stat. He threw it 72% of the time. His filthiest pitch, he just hammered it in there 72% of the time. And they <laughs> they knew what was coming, Carrie, and they still couldn't get yep. any part of it. Yep. And I also thought it was really cool how Dusty mentioned that Javier's parents were there last night. So his mm-hmm. mother had been able to see him pitch um, at the major league level a handful of times. But yesterday was the first time that his father was was ever able to take in one of his major league games in person. Think about how special and cool that is. Absolutely there was a, a, a great story at ESPN from Alden Gonzalez about how his parents were hanging out with him the night before and trying to keep it light and, and keep it positive. And uh, they were pr- predicting that he would throw a no-hitter and they were just trying to put positivity into the universe. Well, they predicted, uh, they predicted it well. And I just thought it was so special for... For him, that not only was he pitching in the World Series, but that it was the first time his dad was ever able to see him do it, and he goes out there and has a performance like he did. That's absolutely amazing. The Blues take on the Islanders tonight at 7 p.m. at Enterprise Center. Craig Berube has been talking about some changes. You made some shakeups you may see in tonight's lineup. Well, not don't, not that, really. It is, but just trying to find some line combinations. I think that he's a heavy player down in the offensive zone um, and could be a good complement to O'Reilly. So he, in that in that breakdown, he was talking about Achari uh, working with O'Reilly. Achari is coming up from the fourth line and going to be on the first line tonight. What are your What are your thoughts about that, Michelle? Well, I think that they're looking at the component of the team that's had success in the fourth line, and they're figuring out a way to try to infuse that into different parts of the team. And mm-hmm. uh, Doug Armstrong, when he was talking about the situation of the team, he said that this team is at ground zero, carry, and yeah. they need to strip. They they can't get any further down than they already have uh, from almost every component of the team. So I think that this is the time to really try to shake something loose, try to push some different buttons, and see what combinations can potentially get you that spark that you need to get out of this funk. Yeah, the 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 uh, Achari going up to the first line is very intriguing to me. Um, the third line is also intriguing to me. Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo got moved down to the third line. I don't know if that signifies or, or, or is, is showing that they believe that those guys have to perform better or that they don't they're not getting the amount of ice time maybe that they, they should be getting or that they could be getting uh, based on their contracts. I just feel like when I saw that move, it, it sent the red flag to me that they are really sent they are sending a message to everyone on that team that you have to play well, you have to play better if you want to continue to play and get time on the ice. Well, if we've learned anything about Doug Armstrong and his decision-making, carry, it's that no one is untouchable. Indeed. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. If you're not performing or you're not getting or the team is not getting what they need out of you, it doesn't matter what your contract looks like. Doug Armstrong is, is going to find a way to get success out of the team. And I think that does send a message to everybody. It doesn't matter if you just signed a big contract. It doesn't matter what the your expectations are. If you're not living up to them, you're, you're not going to be in a certain position on this team. Yep. Army came, obviously, and spoke with the team yesterday. Captain Ryan O'Reilly had some thoughts on that conversation. Um, pretty much uh, it's time to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't want to say too much about it, but, um, yeah, even though I just look at just at myself, though, I've just been absolutely horrible right now. I'm kind of, you know, I'm not really doing anything, so it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to fight for my life right now. I'm going to fight to stay in this league, I guess. But, um, yeah, I got it. Um, yeah, I got to do a lot more leadership-wise, um, my own play. You know, if I could do that, um, just that small thing, I think it would make a big difference. So, 
Um, you know, I think Doug's message was clear. It's time to, you know, this is unacceptable, what, what's going on. And, and he's absolutely right. And it's, um, yeah, I've got, uh, you know, we all have to obviously look, at, look inside and, um, you know, find our own way out of what's going on. But, um, yeah, for myself especially, it's, uh, yeah, pretty pathetic. Army did say that maybe O'Reilly went a little bit too far. It's not all on him, but I actually appreciate when you are the captain of a team and you take the ownership of what's going on, not just saying we have to do better, but I have to do better. I haven't been good enough, and that's part of the reason why we're struggling. That's why you have the C on your sweater, because you are the guy that stands up in front of the team and makes sure, and in front of the fans, in front of everyone, and says, hey, we got to do better, but in order for us to do better, I have to play better. I truly appreciate that about Ryan O'Reilly. Yes, absolutely. And he historically has always been that way. He's always the first person to take the blame. He's always the the person to uh, look at himself first in the mirror. And even Carrie, if it wasn't all, uh, even if he wasn't performing badly, he's somebody that always kind of absorbs that heat for his teammates. And it's one of the ways that he leads. But, you know, I think about he and David Perron and how they were in lockstep in so many ways on the ice, off the ice. And when you have another veteran, and you know, he's still got other guys on the team, that Braden Shen, there's there's a lot of guys that have been around and that are leaders on the team. But I just know that the two of them had so much connectivity and they were kind of thunder and lightning in, in so many different ways. And, you know, you have to think too it's an adjustment period for him as well yes he's the captain yes he's the stanley cup champion yes he's an established veteran player but when you're missing a a big part of what allowed you to have so much success on and off the ice and you were in such a rhythm with somebody you've got a calibration period as well so i really appreciate him um not only taking the blame but flat out saying publicly that it's unacceptable and that they're going to do what needs to be done and it all starts with him that's michelle smallman i'm carrie davis your clarkson jewelers time check is 713 get your text into the air comfort service text line at 65780 coming up next it's sick of it you're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 espn presented by dobbs tire and auto centers Those texts in the 65780. It's time for a sick of it. And Michelle, I am sick of talking about blues losses. <laughs> I prefer to talk about a blues win. So I'm going to say it now. Blues win five to three tonight and get things going in the right direction. I'm sick of talking about blues losses. We not we're not going to talk about it tomorrow because it's gonna be a blues win. Wow, you're calling it. I'm huh? calling my shot. I'm pointing out and I'm calling it. Gosh, I hope you're right. I hope that you (laughs) babe Ruth the hell out of this game because I do not want them to lose again either. I'm sick of talking about it as well, especially so early on in the season. Especially since there's so many people who were on the team last year and they had the cohesiveness and the energy and the effort. I just can't understand what has happened with this group, Carrie, and I'm sick of talking about it as well. Indeed. Got to get it up. Oh, yeah, they do. No doubt. (laughs) Uh, And hopefully we get it tonight. Okay, so... For those who are just tuning in and who might not know, um, I used to be on the morning show with Randy Carricker. Everyone Carriker knows that. We, we love you. <laughs> we, we, we're happy to have you Michelle, back. Michelle, if you could see the text line I right mean, now, listen, you would you would not have. Every morning. That would not have been your preamble <laughs> oh, in any way, shape, or form. Every morning. 
Well, I'm so glad to be back with you guys. I miss you guys terribly, and I miss the show, and I miss St. Louis. There's there's a lot of things that I miss, but uh, for those who might not know who I am or be tuning in, I lived in St. Louis forever and worked on the show, and I recently moved to New York City. So, you know, being a Midwestern girl in the city... Uh, proposes his own challenges guys it's, yeah. it's been uh you know just like the blues i'm trying to find my sea legs a little bit <laughs> and, find, and find the effort needed for me to survive here and i was telling you guys a story yesterday that i would like to share with everyone with the audience of st louis because you know in st louis we're known for being very friendly and very polite if there's someone that comes in from out of town or you can tell that doesn't really know their way around i think most people in st louis generally would go out of their way to help them right they would give suggestions tell them how to get directions it's just kind of what we're we're known to do or at least i think we take a little bit of pride in our hospitality right well that is not the case in new york city as you might imagine and um one of the things that's really sad about living here you guys is that there are homeless people everywhere i'm talking like six homeless people per street they're just everywhere and it's it's really sad and you feel very helpless because you can't really do much to to help there's just the, the volume of people that seem to be struggling is overwhelming but uh i take the the subway because it's the cheapest and easiest way to get around this massive uh, this massive city and uh so you come into contact with a lot of these homeless people and unfortunately a lot of them are struggling with mental health or perhaps drug issues and uh let's just say that it can be kind of a wild card you know you don't really know, <laughs> know what the situation is going to be so uh yesterday I am leaving the show, or I guess two days ago, I'm leaving uh, the show, and I hop on the train, and I am kind of near this homeless person who looks a, a little bit agitated, and uh, I get off the train, and this person starts walking near me kind of closely, and I start to pick up my pace a little. This person runs into, like, runs up to me, looks at me, screams at me in my face and said, get the F out of my face or I'm going to stab you. And I screamed blood, bloody murder. If you guys could have seen the way that I screamed. And the best part about it is no one around me cared. No one even broke their stride. No one looked at me. No one made <laughs> eye contact. No one came over to help to see if I was in danger. It's a normal Tuesday in New York on the subway. Everybody just kept it moving. They were like, get out of my way. Why are you screaming? I'm trying to listen to a podcast. Oh, just like, what is your issue? This is a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> and I was, obviously I was fine and everything was okay. It was just a little startling, but I just thought, I guess this is, this is New York. No one cares about your safety no one cares about helping you they only care about getting where they need to go this is going to be a, a story that will help you become hardened <laughs> as you as you get prepared for the winter months in new york it's just gonna build calluses it's like lifting weights when you get the calluses on your hand this is those are just reps you know you're, it's preparing you for for what's to come hopefully it's nothing is hopefully that's the worst but it's just just building up calluses to get you get you hardened for the for the winter months so you're ready to roll. I'll tell you what I had a, a homeless person throw a full bottle of Coca Cola at me and my friends. Oh my god! Uh, another person I know had someone try to spit in their face. Oh. I mean, it's really the wild west over here yeah. when you're trying to get on the train. But you're right. I need to build up those calluses. I need to shed my smiley Midwestern <laughs> exterior and, and harden myself a little bit because I was unprepared. I was definitely unprepared. You'll be and ready. I just know if I was walking and I saw that happen or someone scream, I would have at least think my instincts would be to rush over and be yeah. like, are you okay? Like, do you need help? But no, not here. Not in New York City.
<laughs> oh my God. That's all I have to say to that. That's, you oh, survived. Right. Fine. Here we go. I'll try to get into something a little bit different. Than... So, so that's what I'm sick of, by the way. That's what I'm yeah, sick of. I would is be the too. lack of friendliness from people here. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, sick of these so-called self-imposed sanctions by schools. No, suspending your coach for games against Podunk U or Sisters of the Poor College isn't enough. Sick of it. I agree with that. The, self, the self-imposed yeah. sanctions are, uh, it's basically saying, I think I did something not too bad, but I'm going to punish myself not too bad as well. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, but I'm also sick of the sanctions from the NCAA because it all that matters is if you're an earner or not. Mizzou, you're going to self-report and follow every rule. Okay, we're going to come down hard on you. North Carolina, oh, academic scandal, academic fraud. Okay, well, <laughs> slap you, on the You rest. self-imposed. It's okay. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, So I'm really sick of any sort of sanctions because there's no um, consistency. I can agree with that. It, it, you know, it's just I, I get the self-imposed sanctions i'm not trying to put myself in a terrible spot why would i punish myself any more than i need to knowing that that depending on my situation the ncaa might not be as kind to my program as it would to another's uh, i called this sick of it at 6 40 he did sick of it i am sick of combined no hitters i understand the logic and why they happen but the baseball fan of me wants to see a complete game no hitter we will never know if vasquez could have thrown a no hitter in the world series now we won't because guess what i Winning the World Series is more mm-hmm. important than a damn no hitter by one person. It, it just is. It's That's more right. important. Te- it's more team important. success is team more important success. than individual success, and, right? And, and even though uh, Javier was playing and pitching and performing extremely well, Dusty Baker knew I, I, it's time to get him out. And I got a bullpen that I rested because I let McCullers go as long as he could the night before. My guys are ready to go. And now we're going to have a chance to seal this game and finish it off and win and get the win. Regardless of we get a no-hitter, we get a win. What if later in the series, Javier comes out of the bullpen and he's lights out and he gets them out of a, a, a tough situation or um, he's the reason why they end up winning another game? And yeah. he's a, he's such a, a filthy weapon for you and now he's available. Dusty, Baker's, Dusty Baker is playing a game of chess while he's managing the World Series. That's what he's doing. Uh huh. That's you can you can just look at you can look at game three like that all you want. I, I'm gonna look at it that right, way. That's I, fine. Rose colored glasses. Seems like there's some analytics that could have told him maybe don't face the thir- <laughs> the top of the lineup he for the third knew time. What not... the analytics were, and he went against it uh-huh. because he knew he was yep. gonna save his bullpen. Definitely not an old school manager who was locked in on his starter pitching Listen, five innings. Definitely not the case. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah. Of course, uh, of course I will not. Say th- I will say this though. Normally, if this was not uh, a pivotal World Series game, I would be in. Uh, the same mindset as our texture there because I hate in a regular season game when someone is rolling and they get pulled. Regular Just, season is fine. Regular uh, season is fine. The playoffs slash World Series are a different beast altogether, but that's one of my biggest pet peeves is when someone is absolutely rolling yes. and they get saved or let's look at the analytics. Okay, no. You're going to let them shoot their shot. I'm sick of it. Orange, leaves, Halloween, Tennessee, Houston, Illinois. Everywhere you look, there's orange. How about some cardinal slash Christmas red? How about I-L-L? I-N-I. Orange is a a beautiful color. It is a beautiful fall color. (laughs) It it it, it brings out the color of some people's eyes, their skin tone. You know, when you have a a, a nice orange sweater on, you feel like you're just... And and, and, and rock, you get a pumpkin spice latte. It is fall. Stop it. It is... The leaves are falling from the trees. Drinks should not be orange unless they're Gatorade, It is a beautiful 
It is a beautiful what? thing. Orange Gatorade? Who hurt you? No, I said, drink, I said drinks should not be orange except for Orange Gatorade. I know. You drink Orange, orange Gatorade? I, who I, hurt you? Michelle, no. I drink Orange Gatorade. I drink, that's my favorite color. What is I drink, you guys? I, I drink every Gatorade. I, I drink every Gatorade but lemon lime <laughs> and grape. I'll, 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 I'll drink blues. Orange I'll, Gatorade is the best Gatorade of all. You, I, you guys, it's lemon lime. Oh, that's oh, terrible. It's, it's blue what? glacier oh, or no. it's nothing. No, also, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning. Orange Gatorade. I'm questioning. Yeah, sorry, my connection is breaking up. I don't know if I can do the rest. I'm of questioning you actually calling Gatorade by their flavor and not the color. What's yeah, going on here right now? There's, right? there's light blue and dark, and dark blue. blue. <laughs> we do not do flavors here, Michelle. No, no, I had to be very orange. specific because yeah. the glacier is better than the regular uh, blue. Everybody no, knows it. No, no. I'm sorry. Listen. <laughs> Lemon lime Gatorade is the goat. It is on the Mount Rushmore of beverages. And orange is like if you're coming out of a game and you're reaching in the tub and you're trying to find a a, a drink, you need an electrolyte beverage, and you see the only thing left is orange, I'm going water. Oh, my goodness. I would rather drink regular (sighs) water than orange Gatorade. Oh, my goodness. That, that, uh. That's also, Michelle Small, but I guess. I have one <laughs> more ahead. quick thing for you guys. Um, Carrie, are you, as a pumpkin spice latte guy, are you upset that the second that Halloween was over that they pivoted from pumpkin spice yeah. latte to Christmas stuff? You know, you have to kind of ease out that phase and, and that transition. It's 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 a harsh cutoff date, and, and I'm not for it. You know, I, I, <laughs> it's, really, it's really too harsh of a date just to cut it off. You got to let it kind of ease its way out, filter its way out of your system. So, yes, I, I, am, I am crushed by that. But I'll move on. I'll live. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Carrie. Coming up, uh, MLB Network lead host Greg Emzinger will be joining us. That's next on The Opening Drive. You're back to The Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I'm feeling the Phillies in seven games. Hmm. I know. Everything I just said goes against <laughs> of, of my prediction. Here's why. I simplified it to two different categories. If the Phillies can basically hold serve with games one and two. Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, which I'm throwing out Aaron Nola's last start because his older brother was on the other side and they knew everything he was throwing. I'm throwing that last start against the Padres out. So you took Wheeler and Nola. If they can hold serve against Verlander and Valdez, then it's advantage Phillies. All right? Just hold serve. Not outpitch them, hold serve. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Michelle Smallman, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and have MLB lead MLB Network lead host Greg Amzinger joining us. Greg, last week you said that if the Phillies held serve, they got one uh, in, in Houston, and they were able to get one in Houston, and they did that, but they gave one back up in Philly last night with a combined no-hitter. What did you see from that game, and, and how do you see this thing going forward? Well, I, I, there's nothing better than a combined no-hitter. And uh, I, I, I'm a little <laughs> tired this morning because me and my friends partied really hard because we saw history and, and a combined no-hitter, which is an absolute lie. I, 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 you know, I, I really enjoy working with Cameron Maven. I, I think Cameron Maven is one of the next great young talents in broadcasting. And he was upset with me that I didn't give a, a combined no hitter any merit. Like he, and 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 you, if you watch the post game show. Even Harold was mad at me, and and I lied and said that we all celebrated uh, in the in the production trailer. Um, I, I look at, I look at a combined no hitter like um, acing a test. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> if, if I tap out sixty percent through a test. 
And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I've got a buddy that studied um, this chunk of, of the chapter, and I've got, I've got two, three buddies, actually. They're going to finish this test. If you don't mind, I'm going to tap out. Thank you. I'm a little tired. Uh, I'm going to have my buddies come and finish the rest of this test. And people go, oh, my gosh, you got a perfect score. The, the Am Singer group got a 100% on this test. Oh, my gosh, we made history. No, a no-hitter is only relevant if one person did it. So I, I, it, to me, that it's a reflection of where we are in the game, which I don't want to dump on the game. I love baseball, but um, there's a reason it's never been done before. Did you know that? There's a reason there's never been a combined no-hitter before because the World Series means there are only seven games left in the season. So you're not saving a pitcher to make sure they're healthy for spring training. That's not what you – no one's ever thought of that before until now. Until, until now, you, you, if your pitcher hasn't given up a hit, you, he's probably the best option to win the game. So you leave him in there to win the game. But I could go on and on about my, um, my love for combined no-hitters, but I don't think you have enough time in your show. I definitely don't think we do, Greg, but I love your uh, proposal there about taking tests or doing things. Like, I would love to just have you tag me in for the last hour of the show, and then we could say that we had a great show together. (laughs) I I mean, there's so many 12-year-olds right now going, oh, my gosh, Mr. Amstinger just changed my life. Can we make this happen? Including my own son, who's probably begging for this right now, to have a group effort for a test. Look, it, it is what it is. I and the Philadelphia Phillies, they were befuddled. They, 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 how do you go from hitting five home runs off one pitcher? Off one pitcher. It looked like home run derby to making hard contact four times. Did they pop bottles after game three and we didn't know? <laughs> did, they, did, did, did they stay away from the cameras? And did they, did they literally put up plastic in their, in their, in their clubhouse and, and celebrate into the wee hours of the morning? It looked like they did. It's a good World Series. We have two games apiece. Um, it is what it is. And, and this is what you ask for. It, it's the best of three now. And you've got a, a Hall of Famer pitching in game five tonight, Justin Verlander, who better be on. He better be on because the Phillies just got no hit, and they've owned him. They look comfy against Justin Verlander. We'll see how it plays out tonight. One more thing, Greg, about Javier getting pulled out. So you, if you were in Dusty Baker's shoes, you wouldn't have pulled him after 97 pitches. You wouldn't be thinking about using him out of the bullpen at all later in the series. You would have just let him ride. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. So, yeah, I mean, if it was a one nothing game, I leave Javier in the game. I do. But you got to win the game. He's your best option. They don't have a hit yet. So you have to leave him in the game. You have to win the game. You have to even the series. You can't go down three games to one. Um, but with 97 pitches, he admitted last night, he, he, someone asked him, uh, while you were managing this game, did you think about Game 7 and the pitch count for Javier so you could use him again? And he initially tried to lie and go, no, I, well, I, well, I'm good. No, actually, I did. I did. <laughs> and he started laughing and giggling. And he's, he's an honest guy. I love Dusty. But, yeah, I mean, it, 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 if you can use a guy that has mastered fastball command in a day and age where so many young pitchers don't even know what that means, just throw the ball as hard as you can. I mean, what people need to recognize is of all the starting pitchers in this World Series, his average fastball velocity was the slowest. So this was the most – we look at a lethal fastball as velocity, right? This is the most 
non-lethal fastball in the World Series, and he owned a team that hit five home runs the day before. He threw 72% fastballs with a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. And in today's day and age, that's, that's, that's like 88. It's like 88 back in 1987 when the Cardinals were good. So it's like I, 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 I'm blown away what he was able to do. But it, it teaches kids that if you can command a fastball, throw it whenever, wherever you want. It's all about location. It's mm-hmm. not about velocity. If you can throw it wherever you want, you can be good. And, and that is an old adage that was taught like in the 1960s. So what he did, Christian Javier, was incredibly impressive. Hey, Greg, how does uh, getting no hit uh, affect the Phillies' the Phillies' confidence going into tonight's game, or or does it affect it at all? I mean, if you lose seven nothing in Game Three, and one pitcher gives a five home runs with the crowd going nuts like it did from Jump Street on the first pitch, they went crazy with Nick Castellanos making a catch on that line drive, you know, off the bat of Altuve, and then come back and no hit a team and went five nothing. Uh, the Astros taught us that these guys are really good at forgetting things. Mm. It's amazing. I've hung out with baseball players now for 14 years. Former baseball players, I work with them, right? And, and you know, all of my dear friends, the reason we snowball as athletes is because we remember things. <laughs> they, don't re- they don't remember things. Like, like, I worked with Larry Boa for seven years. He couldn't remember that I was married to kids. <laughs> he, he didn't remember anything about me. Dan Plesak would hit, hit, hit a human being in the halfway house off the tee, right? He'll like he'll shank a golf shot, hit a human being, like <laughs> it went sideways, and yet he doesn't care. Walks up next shot and it's right down the middle. Like for the rest of us, we're done. Like I hit a human being, I'm shaking, I'm trembling. <laughs> I can't play golf anymore. The professional athletes they don't remember anything. They don't remember any negative thing they ever did. So the Astros showed us that last night. The Phillies will be they'll be ready to go, man. They're going to act like. They're going to act like they haven't lost yet. Great. One and of the-, the Astros will act the same way. That's the beauty of professional athletes. That's why the rest of us amateurs, will, we stink at everything compared to them. One of the best attributes that professional athletes have is bad things never happen. Like It's like it never happened. It was never there. We only think about the great things, and that that's what allows you to keep going forward. You don't, you not, As you said, nothing bad ever happens in our lives. We just keep walking on a path that is straight, and, and only good things come to us, and that's how you feel. You know what? You're on to something. That's the way they are. I mean, that's why they're better at everything other than maybe marriage, right? Like, <laughs> when you're in a relationship, you can't go, what are you talking about, babe? Tuesday didn't happen. Tuesday didn't happen. I don't remember anything about Tuesday. This is true. No, we, we can deal with the flaws of our lives. The professional athletes are like, nope, I'm perfect. I'm perfect. Well, Greg, of course we needed to get some Cardinals questions in for you. Nolan Arenado uh, announcing that he's opting into the remainder of his contract with the Cardinals. And John Moselec flew to Southern California to meet with Arenado before he announced his decision. And in that conversation, and several times publicly, Mo has mentioned that there's going to be an increase in team payroll next season. If you're John Moselec, what's the first move that you want to make to improve this Cardinals team? Trey Turner. Trey, Trey, Trey Turner. It's first, the only. He's the only player I go get. You know, I put all my eggs into Ray Turner's basket. You know, I remember a couple of years back when Nolan Arnato was the third baseman of the Rockies. And I go, mark my words, Trey, Nolan Arnato will be the third baseman of the Cardinals. They will acquire 
Nolan Arenado. I'm on this show today to let you know the St. Louis Cardinals will have a new shortstop. I, 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 I can't really say why I believe this, but I'm telling you this is why I, I believe it. Trey Turner will be the shortstop of the St. Louis Cardinals come opening day 2023. It, it, to me, it's, it's the perfect fit. Uh, he is the missing link. And if the Cardinals don't recognize that, then they're missing out. I know they've got young players. This kid, Wayne, is a talented young minor leaguer. But what we've learned over the years is you just don't know what you get from prospects. It's not bulletproof. This is a, a, a guaranteed star. And if you can lock up Trey Turner and set him next to Nolan Arenado for years to come, you're going to be winning the NL Central. I mean, to see David Stearns you know, punt and leave Milwaukee, because essentially he'll take over for the Houston Astros when this World Series is over. Um, that is that is a feather in the cap for the Cardinals. The Cardinals are going to be a power for years to come. But Trey Turner is the only name Cardinal fans should be talking about this offseason because he should be the number one target. He will be their number one target. And he eventually will be the shortstop of the Cardinals. Well, if, if Trey Turner's at shortstop, I'm, I'm assuming that Tommy Edmonds at second base. What about the outfield? What do you see for them uh, in the outfield next season in 2023? I think they got a lot of depth in the outfield. I don't see a single addition, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of young talent. They, they all have high upsides. Dylan Carlson had one of the most disappointing seasons uh, that we've seen from a, an uber-talented player. He's going to have a, a lot of edge to his game next year. I can't wait to see what he does. I think he's going to be you know, ready to rock, come in in the best shape ever. But Tyler O'Neill, you have years of control. He's going to want to rebound after a disappointing 2022. Uh, they've got names everywhere. Brent Donovan's got to play somewhere. Just want a gold glove or a super utility. He's going to play. Uh, Juan Yepes is going to be the full-time DH. Um, and maybe he can sprinkle it out there. Uh, Lars Neupauer is playing. He, he's he's a spark leadoff guy. This is a team that's they've got a lot of depth, and in that spot, I do not see them signing anybody. They're going to put all their eggs in one basket, pay a ton of money, probably two hundred million dollars for a shortstop, hey, and Greg, it's going to be Trey Turner. Sorry about that, Greg. My last question uh, shifting back to the World Series. The players have been playing outstanding. What are your thoughts on the manager, the managers of the series? This is a World Series that we have to appreciate because we're looking at old-school managing. James Click is more than likely going to be let go when the World Series is over. The GM of the Astros had a falling out, the owner and Dusty Baker. So you know he is not impacting what's taking place on a day-to-day basis. Rob Thompson is, is the interim manager just got locked up to a new, new deal with an old-school GM and president of baseball operations like Dave Dombrowski and Sam Fold, former major leaguers. So you're literally witnessing two managers who actually impact the outcome of the game. It's a wonderful thing to watch. You can actually, on a post-game show, go, what was Dusty thinking? Whereas before, when I go, what was Dave Roberts thinking? And we throw in a sound of Dave Roberts. He's going, listen, we thought that Walker Bueller should only go five tonight. You know, we, 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 we. And it's fun to listen to a manager go, I, 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 I. That is actually old school baseball that I enjoy watching. So enjoy what you're witnessing because this is a chess match between two guys. It's Rob Thompson versus Dusty Baker. And, and appreciate it because I don't know when I can promise you that we'll see it again. I don't know. 
Hey, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you, Harold, and Cameron don't party too hard if there are any more combined no-hitters. <laughs> uh, we'll talk oh. to you next week. <laughs> I'm so, so tired because that was one hell of a party last night. I'll, I, I'll never forget. I will tell my great grandkids about the combined no-hitter on this night. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's MLB Network lead host Greg Amzinger. Uh, coming up next, get your text in, 65780 for Tioli. Take it or leave it is next on the opening drive. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? We'll put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 65780 and give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Those texts in the 65780. It's time for Take It or Leave It. And Michelle Rock, we had a candy draft on Monday. Mm-hmm. A draft in which I lost. I came in second. Michelle came in third. Rock rounded up the rear in fourth place. And well, I had to say it like that, but I did. Yeah, what the heck is that about? <laughs> what the heck was that about? Uh, but I, I have a an issue with the voting process. Okay. And uh, my team was stellar, I believe, and I'm trying to figure out how I came in second place. Uh, take it or leave it, there's voter fraud and we need a recount. Wow. You said I came in what place? I came in second place. Behind who? Randy. Behind Randy. Randy came in first. So you came in third. You're trying to tell me that my squad came in third. Definitely voter fraud. The definitely definitely need a voter the, fraud. The breakdown, 100%. Was, the breakdown we, we was have, Randy, Car- Randy Carricker got 34%. Carrie Davis got 28%. Michelle Smallman got 26%. And then I was in fourth. You rounded up the rear. I like there, the way I said it better. Yes. <laughs> there is no way that Randy Carricker won the candy draft when no one of his selections way. was just a Hershey's chocolate bar. No, There's and no Junior way. Mints was the last one. Do you Junior want Mints? peppermints, Junior Mints, chocolate? What are we doing? He won, with, he won with those first three rounders. That's, My that's first what, three rounders says. were much more, much more. It was solid. I, we got to get it's voter fraud. I need a recount. I, I went you, to Gary. sleep and the numbers changed overnight. I, I'm not okay with this. Well, yeah, that's. <laughs> Are we sure all precincts? I went to sleep and somehow for? the numbers changed. I need a recount. I do. I demand. I will support you. I got to call. Endeavor. We got to call some people. Yep. I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh, Gary! Unbelievable! I hate, how dare you? I dare you call this is this is like the third time you've called you, you've called something and I've been running a cheat a cheat here. You question your hey. rankings on multiple over under weeks. You know, now those are those you just are what they learn are. To take an L is my. Is is, did you not hear me tell Greg Amziger we don't lose, right. we just win? All right. You never remember the All losses. Right. That's how. That's the key to success. All right. That's it. Yeah, yeah you need a little bit of delusion in order you to be have great. To, you have to be, listen, Michelle, you literally have to be a little off in the head to believe that you can do the things that you do. So, yeah, you got to have a, a confidence that, you know, goes very far. Fair well, enough. in that case, voter fraud. Then I'm voter in. fraud. We, you totally got two down. people voting. We, we're, we're two people in it. We need, a, we need a recount. Randy, if you're listening, we're going to get a recount on this. Take okay, it. I have one for you guys. <laughs> So I was reading this article yesterday about the Ottawa Senators and how they could potentially 
uh, come up for sale. And Ryan Reynolds, the actor, is allegedly very interested in buying the Ottawa Senators if the team is ultimately sold. Why, you might be wondering? Well, not just from a business standpoint, it's very important to Ryan Reynolds, who is Canadian, that the team stay in Ottawa. And if the team gets sold to someone else, a relocation could potentially be on the table. Take it or leave it. After reading this, you're wondering why John Hamm didn't swoop in and save the Rams. Mm. Where were you at, John? What are <laughs> no, you I know doing? Stan didn't want to sell, but still. <laughs> like, where were you, John? Come on. In fairness, I, I, <laughs> I know I, it's I, a different where, scenario. But I, I, really? I it's a, a, it's a, it's a four. Muscles, dude. Uh, yeah. I don't, what are we doing? I don't know if Ham has Reynolds' money. He's like he owns like like Aviation Gin's one of like the biggest alcohol companies in the world now. Like he's getting all like that's how he was able to buy that soccer team. The soccer team Rob, that he with, didn't tell his wife that he was buying yes. that one. That's, <laughs> how, that's how he was like when, when Rob McElhenney from All of a in Philadelphia was like, I want to buy a soccer team. He was like, I need to find somebody who actually has money. And he's like, Well, Ryan Reynolds owns one of the best gin companies in the world and makes a boatload of money off that. And that's where he gets all his money from. I don't know if Ham has the uh, the side hustles that 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 hmm. our boy Ryan Reynolds does. Yeah, I don't want to put it all on John Hamm. I was just Fair. looking for a local celeb Fair. to uh, to pin this on. And John Hamm is a great St. Louisan and loves his sports. He would have been the perfect person to come in and uh, take the reins of the Rams from Stan Kroenke and keep the team in St. Louis. I would have loved that. that John Draper. So happy. We got to do better. All right, take it or leave it. Tennessee, new number one in the college football playoff, beats Georgia, number three in the college football playoff, this week. Ooh. Hey, I'm going to leave it. I mean, if you've watched... Georgia play. They are. They. I. I think Paul Feinbaum said, you know, the best te- best teams in Georgia are. He said this early in the season. It was Georgia, Alabama was the second best team, and then Georgia's second string was the third best team. So I, I think they are. They are extremely talented. You know, in on all levels of that team, and I think it's going to be a tough game for for Tennessee to win. Take it or leave it. The Ravens and Dolphins won the trade deadline and are now both serious threats in the AFC. Oh, take it for sure. The Dolphins are legit Super Bowl contenders. I will take it for the Dolphins because they got they already got the receiver in the offseason and then they got the the pass rusher uh, at the trade deadline. I know the, Dol- the the Baltimore Ravens got Roquan Smith who is a an awesome middle linebacker who's going to do everything that they need on that defense. He's not going to cover anybody on the back end. Uh but I think that the the Ravens have not won it because they still need that one receiver that, that Lamar Jackson can throw the ball to, whether it's Bateman, whether it's Duvernay. One of those guys got to step up. They didn't go get anyone in free agency. They haven't gotten anyone in the last couple of years uh, other than Bateman in the draft, and he's been hurt. So for me, I, I'm going to leave that. What about the Dolphins side of it? The Dolphins, yes. They, they, yeah, right? they, uh, yeah, they got, like I said, they got the pass rusher who they, they just paid in Bradley Chubb, gave him a six-year, $119 million, I believe. And um, they got Tyreek Hill in the offseason. So, yeah, they, they've definitely won the trade deadline and the last offseason based off of those two picks. Take it or leave it. If the Blues lose tonight, Chief is on the hot seat. Leave, leave it. it. Didn't Army Did, already address yeah, he this? he just said it. He just said uh, Barubi's not going anywhere. You guys may, but he ain't, essentially. Again, it might seem homery, but that's the first time I've ever believed a GM when he said that. I'd have no reason. This is a man that told you you got to stick someone in their eye and kill them dead. Like no, he no, doesn't. Excuse me, Carrie. Go, quick, to, I don't want to. I don't want to say. You right. have what, to what take it in the eye, jam it into their brain, yeah, and kill them. Don't and kill forget them. the brain part. It's very stick graphic. it in the eye, up to the brain, and kill them. Mm-hmm. 
This is a man that doesn't seem like he's uh he's a he's he's gonna tell you a lie. He, he seems like he's gonna look you square in your face, tell you the truth, and you're gonna deal with it however it comes out. <laughs> That's my kind of guy. That's fair. Take it or leave it. Wilson Contreras is the Cardinals' quote unquote big acquisition this offseason, and it's the only major acquisition they make. Well, I'm gonna leave that. I I think they're going to go out and get a catcher and that would be a great acquisition for them but didn't we just hear greg amzinger firmly say that trey turner is going to be a st louis cardinal Uh, i I heard that i I would like to believe him so i'm going to leave it and i'm going to say trey turner is the big fish the man called Pujols hitting 700 almost to the exact day he did Four months he knows before things. it happened, he knows he's, he's, he's Greg Stradamus. He's on a roll this year. He called the he called the Phillies making a run back in like April before they had a terrible regular season, and then obviously he doubled down on the Mariners. That's really the only place where he screwed up. I'm, I'm with you, Michelle. If, if Greg's saying it, I'm rolling with it right now. He also told us for years that Nolan Arenado was going to be a Cardinal. Yes, so, yeah, he mentioned that. So right. I'm going to listen when Greg talks. Absolutely. Take it or leave it. Oh God. Take it or leave it. Mizzou football could beat Illinois football if it was played in Columbia. No, they couldn't. You I, couldn't beat Mizzou us if we played it on the moon. Now, how about on, that? My guy. We could play it on Mars and they wouldn't beat us. Don't do it. Leave us alone. I didn't bother you. You bothered us. We were not looking for this. Hey, you brought it to my doorstep, so now I'm going to give it back to you. You wouldn't beat us anywhere. Me and Carrie did this segment <laughs> two weeks ago. We talked about we're, we're Vegas handicappers right now. Neutral site. Let's handicap Mizzou and Illinois right now, two and a half years before they actually play the game. And at that time, when I was more positive about Mizzou, I was still giving Illinois a touchdown advantage in that bet. And now it's going up. A week later, I was like, Carrie, we might have to move that line to 13 for, in go. favor of Illinois. And I don't even know if last week beating South Carolina really changed changed my opinion that much about the new 13-point line. I'm still putting it around 11 and a half, 12 points if Mizzou and Illinois played right now with these two rosters at a new Right site. now? Yeah. Right now. Yeah. And again, he's saying Columbia, which means I, 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 I knew it to like minus nine. And it could be nine. on the moon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if that text was sent in with a sarcasm font. <laughs> no, we just have a lot of people who do not like the Illini on the text line. Is it because they're jealous they that Illinois be. is good? It has to be. You know, it, it has to. Because I would be pumped if oh, Mizzou was in this position. This is what I can't understand. I know that there's a bit of a rivalry there, um, but if Mizzou football... It's not a basketball rivalry. But you know what I'm saying? If Mizzou football (laughs) was doing well, I would be pumped for the Tigers. I really would. I would be pumped for Drink. I would be pumped for the, the Mizzou fans. And it's not as if Illinois has been good for a long time and we're like Ohio State and, and we have all these annoying fans. We have suffered just like you have. Yeah. We have been next to you crying tears of sadness because our football program has been terrible. Do we need to go back to the Tim Beckman years for you Let's to remember not. what we've had Please what don't. we've endured? Let's not. <laughs> Allow us a, just a smidge of happiness, okay? We don't know how long this is going to last. Misery Give loves us company. this moment. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah, there's there's a lot. Yeah, I don't I don't get why Mizzou people are so <laughs> negative towards the Illini being a little bit better. Again, I I very I again I might have been even being kind of a homer, only saying a, a touchdown score a few weeks ago. I might still mean maybe I'm still being a homer now, only making it like ten or eleven. That's just the fact of the matter. Get over it. I don't I don't Karen, I don't get why people care. When I said the Tim much. Beckman era, I shuddered a little. Oh bit. my you know, goodness! I had a it, it, it was it was that was some of whew. that was for those brutal. that don't know it it was it was really bad. It, it was, was a, it was bottom. a hard time. It oh, was really bad. It was really bad. <laughs> just Google it. It's bad.
I mean, we got a lot of. It's not a football rivalry either. MU is six and zero. Oh. That's right. It, it's not. Mizzou stomped Illinois yeah. every time. Why do you think we stopped doing it? I was <laughs> part of. I was in two of those games. I was there personally, <laughs> getting beat up. I, I, I mean, we got beat up. It's part of the game. And, and I think it's funny if you, if you look at the basketball one. It's full of runs. Yeah, it's full of it like is. nine it year runs by Illinois, then like yeah. a six year run it's by Mizzou. Cool. Like you, you interview yeah. a Mizzou or Illinois player. There's a good chance they either lost all four or won all four of the bragging rights games. It's just a completely different interview in different eras across different yeah. Mizzou or Illinois yep. players. It jumps around. You also have uh, Illinois is just a terrible state. They haven't beat anybody wow. this year. Excuse me? How dare you slam wow. the land of Lincoln? The whole state? They mm. said it's a terrible state. They have the Cubs, the Blackhawks, and awful taxes. Wow. Uh-huh. The entire well, I support state. you on the taxes. <laughs> and the Cubs suck, too. And, now we got somebody and so ha- do the Blackhawks. We got somebody <laughs> hating on the Rust Belt Conference West is a terrible football conference. I Listen, I, I make fun of a Big Ten football all day hey, long, so. Guess what? In our conference, in our, our this season, we have won seven of our eight games. You can only play who's on your on your schedule. You can't go out and play anyone that is not on your schedule. And then seven of those eight games, honestly, should have been eight of eight. Mm-hmm. We've won. Sure. So also, what do you want us to do? It's I not would, our fault. I would like to let the record state that I just looked it up, and Illinois is leading Mizzou 33-19 to all-time in the basketball bragging rights game. Indeed. So maybe that's where some There's of the salt that. come from as well. <laughs> Thank you, Rock. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, CD. Uh, the Eagles are taking on the Houston Texans tonight. Are they having a chance to make a run at an undefeated season? We'll talk about it next on the opening drive. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the opening drive's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnooks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnooks. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Michelle Smallman. Randy Carricker is out. And Michelle, the Philadelphia Eagles travel to Houston, Texas tonight for a game against the Houston Texans. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are 7-0, first in the NFC East. And they're really rolling and playing very well. Uh, what are your thoughts about tonight's game and, and really the Eagles' chances to go undefeated the entire season? Well, I was taking a look at their schedule last night, Carrie, because you're right. They're absolutely rolling right now. This is such a complete roster. They are are loaded on both sides of the football. Jalen Hurts is that guy. Yeah. I mean, he just looks like a franchise quarterback. And after all of the debate on if he was going to be that guy, I think he's really exerted himself as such. Um, but I was thinking about this. Could they make a run? Could they potentially go undefeated? And I was looking at their schedule. And it is very unintimidating for the Philadelphia Eagles. You have the Texans, the Commanders, the Colts. Then you have the Packers, the Titans, the Giants. Maybe somewhere in that stretch you you catch a loss. Yeah. Um, but then you follow it with the Bears, the Cowboys, the Saints, and the Giants. And, I mean, even even the, the Packers and the Giants and maybe the Titans is their biggest threat. None of those teams are teams that I think really pose that much of a threat to the Eagles. I think the biggest thing for them is to 
continue playing the way that they have and stay healthy. Yeah, I, I look. I'm looking at their schedule as well. I, I think tonight is the win versus the Texans. The Commanders are going through uh, some things, and we'll discuss that later on the show with, with <laughs> their owner. The Indianapolis Colts are they just benched their quarterback, fired their OC. The Packers are stinking it up. The Titans, maybe that's a place where you look at maybe they falter because of uh, King Henry. But you know, is, is Tannehill at quarterback, or do they have the, the rookie Malik Willis in at quarterback? I think the potential first loss would be against the Giants at New York because it's a division rival. Mm-hmm. They'll be 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 and 0 at that time. Rocky o will already owe his roommate some money. That's honestly my biggest thing is I put a bet at the beginning of the season that the Eagles wouldn't be better than 12 and 5. And all of a sudden, by the time they were 4 and 0, I was like, listen, listen, they're going to trip it up. This is this is a trap game coming up. I'm going to be know. looking at like 6 and 3, 7 and 4. I'll be fine. And how, now they're still sitting here completely undefeated and with just a pathetic schedule in front of them. The I mean, it looked even worse. Yeah. About three or four weeks ago before the Giants actually looked like a legitimate team and the Cowboys got Dak Prescott back. But at this point, I, I can't find more than three losses yeah. on the Eagles' schedule. And I put it on the log. Can they win 16? Obviously, they wouldn't be undefeated, but it would be only the third time in NFL history that a team won 16. And it still would be, even with the extra game, it would still be monumental yeah. if in just the second year of 17-game season, a team rips off a 16-1 record. And again, right now, I would I would bet you Vegas in the betting line says that it's not favorable because obviously teams screw up. But I would be surprised if they're not favored by at least – Six six and a half points in every single one of these games, if not more. I, I, I'm looking at possibly a 15 and two season, and and their only two losses coming against the Giants and the Cowboys, and then maybe maybe a, a loss at the end of the season because you don't play your starters uh, versus mm-hmm. the Giants in the end of end of the season game, end of the year uh, game versus the Giants. So you know three losses at the max, two probably. Um, but this team has been rolling along. They'll more than likely get the first round by, and they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs this this uh, this upcoming season. So they not- really will. And they, ha- they have the talent and um, they have the quarterback, which is obviously so important. But it seems, Carrie, too, that they have the chemistry. It seems like this team is is really – we talk about how, how out of sync the Blues are. The Eagles are, are the complete opposite. I was yeah. reading a lot about them last night, and um, they were talking about how close they are and how the level of accountability is really pervasive throughout the locker room, that when, when Robert Quinn came in, the first thing that was said to him was, we practice really hard here, and you need to know that and that everybody in the locker room it's not just Jalen Hurts or certain guys that are leaders everybody feels as if they can hold one another accountable and they do so in film sessions they do they do so in the locker room and they just seem to have the makeup of of a championship caliber team that's Michelle Smallman I'm Kerry Davis your Clarkson Jewelers time check is 8 13 coming up there have been talks about some changes for the for tonight's game on the line and the effort and energy we'll talk to John Kelly about it next on the opening drive you're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Opening drive, we go to the Brown Improvement Celebrity Line where we have the voice of the blues on Bally Sports Midwest, John Kelly. JK, how are you doing this morning? 
I'm doing great, Kerry. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Hey, hey, John, there was a uh, Baruby was talking to reporters and said there were potential line changes uh, for tonight. Achari going up to the first line, um, Thomas and, and Kairou going down to the third line. What are your thoughts on that? Well, obviously, you know, when you don't win, um, you got to make changes. And, you know, Coach Baruby has had a lot of different line combinations really since this losing streak began in Winnipeg. And, you know, I don't blame him. And, um, a coach only has so many um, things he can do to to rally a team. You know, you can't you can't send players down. Really, you can't doctor pay, of course, things like that. So it, it's taking away ice time or it's changing lines. And um, right now, he's changing lines. And Achari has been a real good worker down on the fourth line. And you know, he'll try him up on right wing with with O'Reilly and and Shen. So. We'll see what happens. So I don't blame the coach. Um, you know, the last two losses in particular have been, to me, really upsetting, um, not just because they lost, but the way they lost. So obviously, you know, the GM talked to the team on Tuesday, Doug Armstrong. Um, the coach keep, continues to basically say the same thing, that, you know, they have to play a more direct game and not fancy hockey and, and more intense around their own goal and things like that. So, you know, changing lines is obviously the, the next step and hopefully it works tonight against the Islanders. Hey, John, do you think that moving um, um, Robert Thomas and, and Kairou down to the third line is a, is a direct message to those two in particular? Well, first of all, I, I don't really think you number lines, Kerry. Okay. Um, you know, Robert. the facts are Robert Thomas plays more minutes um, or as many minutes as any, any of the top players. So, you know, you can number the, the – you know, the Blues last year when they had, you know, nine 20-goal scores and they had three lines that scored, um, I talked to Doug Armstrong in training camp. He said, you know, basically we had three number one lines. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, primarily the case this year. It's been a little bit of a different balance with the sod injury. Um, you know, the, the top two lines have, have really featured most of the offensive-minded players. But, you know, I don't look at Robert Thomas being a number three center tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't. Mm-hmm. You know, Jake Neighbors, a rookie on the left wing, has played really well. And obviously, Cairo is a, is a guy that, you know, was nearly a point-of-game player, and he struggled this year. So I, I don't look at it as a demotion for Robert Thomas. I just think it's a, it's a different look, and hopefully it works. John, we've been talking a lot about the Blues' effort and their compete level dropping off. Why do you think we're seeing that decline? Well, that's a, that's a million-dollar question, Michelle. Um, you know, you're probably better off going to the locker room and asking the players. But my, my you know, initial guess from afar would be that this team had, had a lot of success last year and, you know, had a pretty good playoff. And then they started 3-0, and and maybe they felt like, you know, they didn't have to work hard anymore. They, they could just go on the ice and just play and win. <clears throat> and that's not the case, obviously. So, you know, maybe they got a little full of themselves after beating Edmonton 2 nothing a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't have any other explanation. I mean, they're a healthy team aside from Saad. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and, you know, they, they have the same lineup basically every other night. And, you know, it's, it's different reasons, different nights, but uh, they're not playing the right way. And I, I think that a, a shift in the second period the other night um, was really sort of the microcosm of, of this slide is when the Kings were leading 2 nothing, the Blues had that 3-0 break, and Kyrou doesn't shoot the puck, and he gets poke-checked by the goaltender, and on that same shift, they come down, and Kopitar scores a backdoor goal that, 
um, you know, that he should have been prevented from scoring. Uh, Pareko didn't have a stick on on Kopitar's stick and the, the pucks in the net. So that probably sort of sums up the way things have gone the last couple of weeks. <laughs> not direct enough, not shooting enough, and at the same time not, not nearly good enough in your own zone. Hey, John, Ryan O'Reilly had some uh, thoughts about his own performance so far this year. Yeah, even though I was just looking at, just at myself, though, I've just been absolutely horrible right now. I'm kind of... You know, I'm not really doing anything, so it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to fight for my life right now. I'm going to fight to stay in this league, I guess. But, um, yeah, I got um, yeah, I got to do a lot more leadership-wise, um, my own play. You know, if I could do that, um, just that small thing, I think would make a big difference. Now, I, I don't think he's fighting to stay in the league, but what are your thoughts on, on his performance, and, and what do you think about him putting, you know, that much pressure or onus on himself and his performance so far? Well, Kerry, that's the kind of guy he is. He's a leader, as we know. He's the first guy on the ice, the last guy off, and I'm sure this is just killing him. Um, You know, his his production and, you know, the the one-loss record of the hockey team. He's the captain of the team. Um, But believe me, it's not all on Ryan O'Reilly. There are other players that are underperforming. And, you know, they started the season with Saad, with O'Reilly and Kairou, and then Saad gets hurt after game three. And, you know, Kyrou's struggling. So when you have two struggling players playing together like O'Reilly and Kyrou, obviously it, it's, it's a tough mix. There's no other way to put it. So that's why I think they've moved Kyrou on to, to Thomas's line, and now you have a different winger for O'Reilly. But it's not because Ryan doesn't care or he doesn't work hard. Things just aren't going his way. I also say that really since he came here a few years ago, he's never been a great starter. Um, he's never come out of the gates and, you know, ripped it up in the first couple of weeks. Uh, but this year in particular, obviously, is, is, um, it's, it's another level. And obviously, he, he's not happy about it. You know, it's plus minus in particular. He prides himself on playing great defensive hockey. And I know plus minus is misleading. Um, but in this case, it, it's certainly something that, that he wants to change right now. John, do you think uh, having David Perron not on the team is something that could be affecting Ryan O'Reilly because they had so much connectivity in the past? Well, there's no question that they had great connectivity and and um, they were sort of made for each other the way that they like to play the game, the cycle game. And, you know, David was tenacious on pucks and, and you know, he knew Ryan so well. So, yeah, it, there's I don't think there's any question that it, that it's hurt Ryan um, especially in the offensive zone. Um, but, you know, that's life. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, players get hurt. They get traded. They they move on from free agency. And, and Ryan knows that. He's a big boy. So now you have to adjust. So, yeah, but I, I think you'd have to be naive to say that it hasn't hurt Ryan's game in, in the first couple of weeks. Hey, John, we had Robert Thomas on yesterday, and he said, um, you know, the, the goalies have been playing pretty well. It's the guys in front of them that need to perform better. Well, what are your thoughts on that? And, and do you expect to see that tonight? Well, hopefully the Islanders come in here after beating Chicago 3-1 to on Tuesday. They went four straight, so they're playing a lot better hockey this year. Of course, they missed the playoffs last season, um, and they have a new coach in Lane Lambert. So, you know, I agree. You know, Minnington, um, I think for the most part, has played really well. I couldn't fault him on any of the goals the other night. Um, the Montreal game, you know, he allowed, you know, six goals and then the empty net goal. It, it, he wasn't as sharp as previous games but when you have backdoor tap-ins like the Kings had the other night it's not on the goaltender so I I don't know why the Blues defensive coverage has been really loose in the last five games they've allowed 25 goals in five games so 
Um, you know, it's not just on the six defensemen either, as you know. It's also on the forwards to come back and help out. So, um, as Doug Armstrong said on Tuesday, you know, they're not moving up the ice as a five-man unit, and they're not coming back as a five-man unit. It's it's really simple hockey. It really is. It, it, for, for years, that's the way it's been. And if you don't come back and help out your defense and your goaltenders, the puck's going to end up in your net. But I would say overall, the goaltending has been pretty good. John, obviously the result matters, and you're hoping that the Blues snap this losing streak with a win versus the Islanders. But putting the results aside, what would you like to see out of this Blues team tonight? Well, I would like to see them play a very intense, hard game and a smart game and um, not give up odd man breaks and not give the team, you know, easy goals like the Kings had the other night. Um, And, you know, you can play a really good game and you can still lose. I think a good example, Michelle, a few weeks ago um, when the Blues lost at home to Edmonton, they were a little flat coming off the road trip. They're down by one after one. O'Reilly scores late in the second period, but they played really, really good hockey the last two periods against Edmonton. And then McDavid makes a great play on the winning goal and they lose three, one with an empty net goal. But you know, a game like that, a loss like that, it's acceptable because you played well. Um, But the last few games, to me, the losses aren't acceptable. And that's why the GM talks to the team. And that's why the coach and the players are frustrated. So I think the biggest thing is to play hard, play intense and play the right way. It's to me, it's not that complicated um, from where I sit. Uh, hopefully they can do that tonight. You can catch John Kelly tonight, Blues versus Islanders, 7 p.m. on Bally Sports Midwest. John, thank you so much for joining us, and talk to you next week. Okay, thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Coming up next, we have the fight. And we, Michelle, we got a late addition to Take It or Leave It. Take It or Leave It. CD doesn't win the fight today. Doug Armstrong comes in and talks about some changes <laughs> in the fight. Hopefully he's talking to Rock and not me. The fight is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It's time for the fight on the opening drive here on 101 ESPN. No Megamind, also known as Randy Carricker, on the show this week. I'm Michelle Smallman. I'm filling in for RK. On the talking side, Carrie Davis is filling in for Randy Carricker on the fight side. And yesterday, Michael came in. He had a a really tough battle with Carrie Davis. It went to double overtime. But Michael came out victorious. He is back for fight number two. And if he wins today, he's got a shot at the Hall of Fame tomorrow good morning michael how are you i'm good michelle how about you i'm doing well thank you for asking are you riding high off your victory from yesterday i am hopefully i can do better though yeah hopefully it's not double overtime because that's stressful for all of us (laughs) (laughs) okay michael well here we go fight number two for you question number one last night was just the second no hitter slash perfect game in world series history what pitcher threw the first and still only complete game no hitter in world series history is it bob gibson steve carlton or don larson don larson 
All right, number two, following Pete Rose's ban from baseball in August of 1989 and his subsequent firing as the manager of the Reds, who took over as their full-time manager for the 1990 season? Was that Tommy Helms, Roger Craig, or Lou Piniella? Uh, let's go with Roger Craig. Question number three for you, Michael. On this day in 1996, Jerry Rice became the first player to ever catch 1,000 passes, finishing his career with over 1,500 total catches. Who is the only other receiver in NFL history with over 1,400 catches? Is that Chris Carter, Marvin Harrison, or Larry Fitzgerald? Can I get those options again? Sure. Chris Carter, Marvin Harrison, Larry Fitzgerald. Outside of Jerry Rice, the only other receiver in NFL history with over 1,400 catches. Uh, I know Kerry's going to get this. <laughs> uh, let's go with Marvin Harrison. All right, and question four on the day. Three different players have thrown for seven touchdown passes in one game since 2013. Who did it most recently? Was that Peyton Manning, Nick Foles, or Drew Brees? Threw for seven of them? Yes, sir. Uh, Drew Brees. Michael has completed the fight. We are confirming the score that I just sent over to Matt. Let's see if we got it right. And Carrie's coming back into the studio. All right, Michael, how are you feeling? How do you think you did today? Hopefully better than just the one I got yesterday. But those are those are some tough football questions. Yeah, that was such an interesting fight yesterday because you both only got one correct during regulation fighting, and then you went to double overtime. It was quite complicated. All right, Carrie Davis is back in studio. Carrie, please say good morning to Michael. You, of course, remember him. He beat you yesterday. Oh, hello, Michael. We meet again. Good morning, Carrie. How's it going? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? Not bad. Carrie, how are you doing? Just let's get an emotional check from you. You've lost two fights so far this week. I have. It's two more than I lost the last time I did this. Um, I'm not going to say there's a a, a level of pressure, but I I do want to get a win. There is a level of pressure because Randy Carriker is likely listening. He may be. (laughs) And I can't put myself in potential jeopardy for for giving up a Hall of Famer. So I got to get this correct today. Okay, well, here we go. Let's see if you can do it, Carrie. Question number one. Last night was just the second no-hitter slash perfect game in World Series history. What pitcher threw the first and still only complete game no-hitter in World Series history? Is it Bob Gibson, Steve Carlton, or Don Larson? Uh, Don Larson. Don Larson. All right, number two, following Pete Rose's ban from baseball in August of 1989 and his subsequent firing as manager of the Reds, who took over as the full-time manager in the 1990 season? Was that Tommy Helms, Roger Craig, or Lou Piniella? Let's go Lou Piniella. Carrie, on this day in 1996, Jerry Rice became the first player to ever catch 1,000 passes, finishing his career with over 1,500 total catches. Who is the only other receiver in NFL history with over 1,400 catches? Is it Chris Carter, Marvin Harrison, or Larry Fitzgerald? It's not Larry. I don't think it's Marvin. Um, I mean, Chris Carpenter caught everything. I'm going to go Chris Carpenter. (laughs) (laughs) 
He threw everything. He threw everything. (laughs) Chris Carter (laughs) caught everything. Let's go, Chris Carter. All right. And there have been three different players to throw for seven TD passes in one game since 2013. Who did it the most recently? Was that Peyton Manning, Nick Foles, or Drew Brees? I just knew that two of the three people that I was thinking was going to be on that list. 2013? That, that's that's. There have been three players to do it since, since 2013. 2013. Who is the most recent to do it? Peyton Manning, oh, the most recent Nick Foles, okay. or Drew Brees? Well, Peyton retired in 2016. And I feel like Drew Brees did it after. I don't know why Nick Foles is on that list, but there's something tricky about it. I'm sure he – well, he's obviously done it, but I don't know when he would have done it. His last season – would have been the Super Bowl season where he really had a great season, which was 2017, 18. Oh, Lord, let me see. I feel like it's Drew Brees. I feel like he's done it more recently than than the other two. So let's go Drew Brees. Ooh, this was a tough fight. Tough How did fight. I do? The final score is three to two. It came down to the final question. Okay. Did Michael defeat Kerry Davis two days in a row. Is he looking at a chance at the Hall of Fame tomorrow? Or did Kerry finally redeem himself? Matt Rocchio, ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. (laughs) (laughs) All I do is win, win, win. Congratulations, Carrie. I'm sorry, Michael. Great effort out of you, or good job, good effort, as the LeBron James kid would say. But Carrie (laughs) pulled it out there right at the end. He beat you three to two. That's all right. That was a a tough one. Good job, Michael. It was. Uh, Let's run through our answers here. So last night was just the second no-hitter slash perfect game in World Series history. The pitcher that threw the first and still only complete game no-hitter in World Series history was Don Larson. 1956 World Series, perfect game. Both of you got that correct. Following Pete Rose's ban from baseball in August of 1989 and his subsequent firing as the manager of the Reds, Lou Piniella took over as the full-time manager in 1990. Kerry got that one correct. Michael did not. On this day in 1996, Jerry Rice became the first player to ever catch 1,000 passes. He finished his career with over 1,500 total catches. The only other receiver in NFL history with over 1,400 catches is Larry Fitzgerald. Really? 1,432. <sighs> you, you should remember him doing, you know, doing, going, you know, going across did, that yeah, goal line. He did do that. <laughs> I mean, you guys beat him, but hey, still. Yeah, we did. We did do that, too. Yeah, 1,432 for for Larry Fitz. Unbelievable. And three different players have thrown for seven touchdown passes in one game since 2013. Who did it the most recently? Peyton Manning did it in 2013. Nick Foles also did it in 2013. And Drew Brees did it in 2015. He is the correct answer. You guys both got that one right. But Kerry just edged out Michael 3-2. to He is our winner. Michael, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome Thursday. No problem. Congratulations, Kerry. Thank you. Appreciate it. You too. Look at that. Good that, sportsmanship. That, so nice. That red scene was uh, Chris Sabo. I've talked about him before. Yeah, <laughs> My yeah. guy. He wore the goggle, goggles at third base. Barry Larkin at shortstop. I did know uh, <laughs> Lou Pinella. Mad Lou used to go a little crazy out there. I used to get excited. <laughs> I love Lou Pinella because man, he was he was still he was still freaking out on the umps when I was like oh, seventeen yeah. years old in like yeah. two thousand eight. I love Lou Pinella. Indeed. Uh, coming up next, the Washington Commanders have been talking about possibly selling the team. We'll dig into that next on the opening drive. You're back.
back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You're listening to The Opening Drive on 101 ESPN with Randy Carricker and Super Bowl champion Carrie Davis on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Sumner One. The fact that you had Demerce already talking said we knew more owners and I was told more owners feel similarly to Jim Ursay, so he's not an outlier. I think we are inching closer and I say inch because the House Oversight Committee is still doing an investigation. The NFL still has an investigation into the commanders. Like these investigations have to be wrapped up before I think things can happen. Um, Or at least I would expect it to. But I think we are moving closer to potentially seeing Dan Snyder no longer on the team, which I know would make a lot of fans in that area, in the DMV area, very happy. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Michelle Smallman. And that voice you just heard was Kimberly Martin discussing the potential sale of the Washington Commanders. And and Michelle, we've been going through this for, (laughs) it seems like a while now, where Dan Snyder has, has... come out and said, I have a bunch of dirt on a bunch of different owners and there's no way they can oust me. And now, yesterday news came out that he's looking at Bank of America for the potential sale of the franchise. What are your thoughts on that? And and how do you see this panning out? Well, first of all, Dan Snyder said for how many years that he would never change the name of his team. And now they're the Washington Commanders. So when he says, I'm never going to sell the team, I don't think a lot of people took that at face value because it might not be his decision. And I think, Kerry... You, you saw all the great reporting from Seth Wickersham and Don Vanada just about how toxic it had become within the owner's circle with Dan Snyder. And the thing with him is he, he had had an ally in Jerry Jones, and it seems like that has eroded a little bit and that there were a lot of owners that could that could potentially want him out. And we've just heard... We've seen it play out with the team and just how, how toxic Dan Snyder's ownership tenure has been. But but then you have all of these other things that are happening, bad workplace environments, the NFL's investigation into matters that involved alleged sexual misconduct in the organization, including Dan Snyder's own alleged sexual assault of a woman on his plane in April 2009. So there was a lot of things happening. But then, Carrie, when the U.S. Attorney's Office is investigating the commanders over alleged financial improprieties and you're reading about the team having two separate financial books, one that has underreported ticket revenue that went to the NFL, and then another one that had the full picture and would show how the commanders would move around the money to juice Mm -hmm. the front office and juice the finances, that's when you know that Dan Snyder's in trouble. And that's when you know that he's going to lose all his allies. Because if we've, we learned a lot about NFL ownership during the Rams situation, and bad behavior isn't necessarily the tipping point, but money is. When you start to mess with these guys' pocketbooks or there's something legal that's happening with the government, that's when they want to get you out. And it seems like Dan Snyder has crossed that line. Yeah, the only thing that moves them is money. And if there are if there is an owner who is moving money or allocating it to a different place and it's not showing up properly on the books where they do the revenue sharing, it, it will upset some people. It will frustrate some people. And it seems as though that... that even though Dan Snyder came out last week or a couple of weeks ago saying that I have dirt on all of these guys, I'm untouchable, they can't mess with me, they won't mess with me, it seems 
as though there's more information about what he's been doing and what he's got going on um, that that he may say, you know what, maybe it is the best time for me to get out of there. It's shocking to me that in the battle between one billionaire versus 31 other billionaires, the one is going to lose. Like, you don't, <laughs> you don't pick five with people who buy, buy ink by a barrel. Like, man, yeah. you're, you're a billionaire, and you can buy off a lot of people, but the one person you can't buy off is literally 31 other billionaires who Correct. do not like you. It's insane to me that he thought those threats would do anything but expedite him yeah. getting essentially ousted from the league. You, I, I think I feel like that. You know, just watching it and watching it take place in real time, he's still going to come out on top of this because you, you, the the Broncos just sold for four point six billion, I believe. And and so now we're looking at at potential buyers or potential suitors. Uh, Adam Schefter had some thoughts on that. Well, Forbes initially wrote about this this morning. They said there were groups that were interested. And I will just say this, that if you want to sell the Washington Commanders, I don't believe that there would be a shortage of buyers if that's the route that you wanted to go. They're not going to have a hard time coming up with somebody to buy that franchise. And frankly, in an environment like this, the NFL would help facilitate it and want it to happen because of everything that's gone on with that franchise in recent seasons. So that, to me, is not going to be an issue, finding a buyer and approving a new owner. That would be rather seamless. The issue is, does he want to sell? How much does he want to sell? And how quickly could a transaction like that be executed? And with that, guys, comes a lot of different tentacles, because if he's selling the team outright, it will not be hard to find a buyer. Yes, the asking price will be very high, but the NFL is a cash cow. This is buying an NFL organization is basically as close to printing money as you could possibly get. We have just seen those profit margins rise and rise, and especially for a team like the Commanders that has a very passionate fan base that has been in turmoil for many years and has wanted this guy out. I can only imagine if a new ownership group came in how the fans would swoop in to support this this new ownership group that would hopefully turn the tide. But if Dan Snyder and Tanya Snyder are only looking to potentially explore selling a minority stake in the team, even with the financial uh, benefits that could come with that. I don't know how many people want to get him to bed with them. I don't know how many people would want to sign up to being in business with these people, knowing not only their history and all the investigations that are surrounding them, but the fact that the rest of the, the league doesn't want them to be in, in charge. And I know that he probably will come out on top from a financial standpoint, Carrie, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. but we have to think about these guys. It's not just the money that they care about. It's the ego. And this is somebody who likes the power of being an NFL owner. This is somebody who likes the, the to be the puppeteer and pull the strings. We, we remember how involved he was with RG3 when he was the quarterback. He likes to meddle in the organization, and he thinks that he's untouchable. So... If it gets to a point where he really does have to sell the team, that's going to be a big, big blow for him. Yeah, I don't see him selling a portion of anything. I, I think that these talks are about him probably selling the whole thing. And, and uh, there are talks that this franchise may be worth upwards to $6 billion with a B. As I said, the Broncos just sold for 4.6. So even in a, in a, uh, in throughout, throughout all the turmoil that he's dealing with and that this franchise has dealt with and all the horrible things that you read about, that you hear about, he still stands to gain a significant amount of money, which for me, it feels kind of dirty that you can, you can kind of get away with all of those things and still come out on top. But if they are able 
able to get the franchise from up under him and get it to new leadership and have some people around that are willing to do things the right way as it pertains to women in that organization, just how they handle their business every single day. I would love and appreciate that more than what we're seeing right now from Dan Snyder and his running of the organization. So when Jim Ursay said about two weeks ago at the NFL's fall meeting that there was merit to consider whether they should vote Dan Snyder out as the owner, then Dan Snyder responded saying that he would never sell the franchise. Here we are two weeks later with these reports. Right. So so clearly this has been brewing behind the scenes for quite some time. And the league does require that 24 of the 32 owners approve a vote to remove an owner. That's never been done at the NFL level. So that tells you if if Jim Ursay says that publicly, that he probably knows that they have whipped the votes enough to where if this does go to a vote, that they're ready to to move on from him. Nice. Yeah. Well, my, my big thing, just it's insane how many of these stories we have right now in sports, you know, that are, that are in one way or another connected to, you know, how people treat women in the workplace at these at, at these you know, in in these organizations. First of all, you have Deshaun Watson, who's who they just said is going to start once he his suspension's over. You have the I'm a Udoka thing and the complete just you know ignoring of the circumstances from the Nets, and now you have the Washington Commanders again. How he's still the owner, just off the way that we know, like the cheerleaders and the employees were being mistreated. Carrie, you threw out a, 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 um, an anecdote that they used to have the cheerleaders do their stretches in front of the visiting team's locker room. Well, in front of the tunnel where we came out. When you come out of the locker room, you head. Down down the tunnel to go to the field and there are cheerleaders stretching literally stretching right in front of you and and they are very flexible one leg here like they are they are stretching in front of you and and it's it was done I, I'm sure with the intent to get your mind off of the game I mean it's a it's a huge stadium I mean, right he used he uses plenty yes there are plenty of places where they could have stretched that was the one place that they chose and then they eventually uh forced the NFL forced them to not be allowed to stretch in that area uh, as as opposing players are walking out of the tunnel. And and then you have, of course you have the story about him them you know inviting investors and special people in the front office to watch the cheerleaders photo shoots. It's just the fact that it's still to this point, and the fact that we now have to wait for everything to get cleared up in Congress before this can get finalized. That's annoying, but also the fact of even if, if even if you know everything wins out and he's no longer an NFL owner, as Adam Sheffner just described, there's going to be a long line of people to essentially pay him $5 billion to 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 disappear for as long as possible. Yeah, but let's make no mistake. Let's, let's clarify here. It's not the mistreatment of women that is going to be the thing that ousts Dan Snyder. It's, it's be, it, the NFL has consistently told us that they do not care about women and they do not care about the treatment of women. I don't care how many uh, pink ribbons you want to put on your mm-hmm. uniforms. Your actions tell me how you really feel about women and you don't care about protecting women. It's the fact that he has two separate financial books and that he's been using the money from the tickets that are generated at the stadium to use at a Kenny Chesney concert or a Navy Notre Dame game to line his pockets and juice the revenue. That's what these people care about. It's not about the fans. It's not about the treatment of women. It's not about bettering society. It's about the money. It's all about the money. And they probably are looking at one another in their private rooms and saying, we know what you've been doing behind closed doors uh, from a a social standpoint. We've protected you for long enough and looked the other way. Now you're messing with my pocketbook. There's no way. That's the one thing you can't do. And you cross that line and you're out. Get your texts in to 65780 uh, or Mike drops to the 101 ESPN app. Coming up, the Blues take on the Islanders. What changes, if any, do we expect to see tonight going into this game? That's next on the opening drive. 
You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for today's Big Thing. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of guys from previous years, we know what kind of team we are. Um, it's just about, you know, sticking together and, you know, fighting for each other. And um, I think that's the main thing. Uh, like I was saying earlier, it happens a lot, you know, throughout a year. There's going to be times like this. And, um, you know, that's when, you know, the team can either fall apart or come together. And uh, we've came together so many times, and I expect us to do the same. That was Robert Thomas discussing what he feels the Blues need to do going forward and, and just sticking together and making sure that they're all on one accord. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Michelle Smallman. And, Michelle, Blues have a game tonight. They've lost five straight. Uh, there's been talks of changing some things up in, in terms of the lines and, and, and bringing Achari up, Robert Thomas and Kairou going to the third line, uh, Buchnevich, Barbashev, and Tarasenko all on the second line going to be working together for the first time this season. What do you see Leading into the into tonight, and what do you want? What do you want to see uh, from this game that'll give you confidence going forward? Frankly, Carrie, I want to see some anger. I want to see these guys come out playing hard, mm-hmm. playing fast, playing physical. I want them to be demonstrative and showing us how frustrated they are. I, I, they're saying all the right things after practice. They're saying all the right things after the game. It's unacceptable. We need to be better. Um, We're going to figure it out. All of those words are great, but I thought we were going to see a little bit more of a response after Saturday's game, and we didn't get it. So I'm going to need you to show me how frustrated you are rather than tell me. And Losing is terrible. Nobody likes to lose, but just as Doug Armstrong has outlined over the past couple of days, it's the manner in which this team is losing that is so frustrating. It's the fact that it doesn't seem like they have any fight in them. And if the president of hockey operations is coming out speaking to the media and outlining how how bad this is and saying they're going to tell me when the window is closed and the coach is safe and if if we get to that point changes are going to be made if he's saying that publicly he's met with you privately he's at practice the owner of the team is coming to practice Mm -hmm. they're shaking up the lines if that is not message after message after message that's being sent to this team and we don't see that play out on the ice tonight, I think they're going to be in a really tough spot. We're going to have some big problems that we're going to be talking about tomorrow if we don't see at least a higher compete level tonight. Yeah, You took the words right out of of my mouth. I think the clear message is effort and energy. You know, it's not about you want to win every game clearly and you don't want to lose every game clearly, but you want to see effort and energy. You want to see guys playing well. You know, Robert Thomas talked about talked to us yesterday about it of, you know, the goaltending has been very good. We haven't been playing well in front of him and how do we how do we compete and not allow so many shots on goal, not allow so many uh, shots and, and, and players being in our zone, getting out of our zone and becoming uh, more aggressive on the op- opposite end. They just have to compete. They have to have more energy. They have to have more effort. And I think that these line changes and, and shaking some things up, as you said, Stillman coming to the to the practice, Barubi um, um, coming to the, being at practice and talking, Army coming to practice and talking to him. Those are clear messages throughout the entire team that they are saying, hey, we have to do better and we have to be better. And it starts with the men on the ice. And I think it's fair to say that, 
you're going to be watching every time 90 comes off the bench in this game. After his comments, putting that much responsibility yeah. on himself to the point where even Craig Berube was like, listen, that's a little bit too much. It's the entire team that's got to play better. He can't put it all on himself. I'm going to be watching 90 every single shift he has this game because if he's going to make that kind of comment and then we're going to see the, the way that Berube and Armstrong have kind of laid it out for the team, I'm expecting him to come out here, hit some people, and absolutely just play a completely different level of game than we've seen these first eight games of the season. We're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford coming up, and I was reading his piece at The Athletic this morning, and I highlighted this quote from Doug Armstrong because I think that this summarizes it nicely. He said, quote, if losing doesn't weigh on you, you're in hockey just for a paycheck. The paychecks are a great benefit, but it's the competition that drives you. I know the competition drives Craig, meaning Craig Berube, and it drives our players. And if it doesn't, then we have the wrong players. And that gets back to one guy, me. And we've seen Doug Armstrong in the past not be afraid to pull the plug or make a move when he thinks that he's made the wrong decision. We saw it with Mike Yo, and he... he pulled him out of the midseason and installed Craig Berube and the team went on to win a championship. But Army's not afraid to put the onus on himself. And when he feels like he's made a misstep, at least looking at at past situations, he's going to make a move. He doesn't really let things fester for a long time. So yeah. if I'm the players, I am. my ears are burning. I am mm-hmm. perking up. I'm thinking my job could be on the line. It, I, I better do what I can do and control my effort and my compete level tonight because he's paying attention and he's not afraid to shake things up. Yeah, you have a, a – to be a professional athlete, you have to have an insane amount of competition and, and want and grit and determination and – that's what he's talking about. Yes, you're getting paid a, a, a heck of a lot of money to 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 play a hockey to play a hockey game, but what drives you should be your willingness to compete, your willingness to be a great teammate, to show up for the people on the ice, to show up for those guys that are next to you that are fighting their butts off. And when you have that, you have a great team. And right now, I feel as though they are not; they're just not competing at a level well enough to win uh, hockey games on a consistent basis. And tonight has to be a night where they decide, hey. We are tired of everything, of every one of us, of, of, of our own selves. We're tired of us not performing. And let's be better. Let's do better. Clearly, the management feels that way. Clearly, the coach feels that way. Now it's time for us because we are the ones on the ice. We are the ones that control you know, our destiny, that where we end up. So if we're not going to do it, it's not ever going to happen. It doesn't matter how much uh, Barubi talks. It doesn't matter how much Army talks. It doesn't matter how much Tom Stillman comes and shows up to practice and lets us know this is a real thing. We, as the players, have to decide it is a real thing and go out there and show it on the ice. And it's it's an interesting touch point of the season too, guys, because we're only 10% in. So I think, you know, a lot of us have been trying to check ourselves and be like, are we overreacting because of the, the point in the season that we're at? But then I think, no, we don't need to, oh, we're not overreacting. If anything, maybe it feels as if we're trying not to underreact. And I just think sometimes as observers, John Mozalek talks about this all the time, about being patient, about letting the season develop and letting things breathe a little bit, like a nice wine. Sometimes you got to decant yeah. it, you know what I mean? <laughs> but when, when the coach and the front office and ownership is echoing the same sentiment as the fans, that's when you know that there's some red flags happening. Yeah, you just... It, it, 
everyone is saying it. Even the players see it. I mean, as a player, you know when you're kind of in a tailspin, when you're in a funk. And Ryan O'Reilly spoke about it. He said he has to play better. He put a lot of that on himself. As the captain, you you love to hear that. You love for your, your guy with the C on his sweater to say, hey, it's on me. I am the one that they chose to be the captain of this team. I have to perform better. And when I perform better, and that doesn't mean scoring goals. That could mean a multitude of things. But just having the effort and energy, when they see that out of me, then, they, then everyone else kind of falls in line. So I'm expecting him to come out. As you said, uh, uh, Rock, when he comes out tonight with with fire and just ready to roll, I expect the Blues to follow suit. And here, we've been talking a lot about the forwards, but the bottom line is Colton Pareko, Tory Krug, and more so defensively than offensively, Justin Falk, they haven't played up to snuff for a lot of this season so far. I mean, I, I've been, a, you know, some people would say a Pareko apologist pretty much since Alex Petrangelo left, and they they naturally kind of brought him up as the number one defenseman. But and I thought he was playing better this year. I thought he was moving his feet well. And then you have the game against the Kings, where he was just completely out of position a couple times. Now a couple times he was covering for some even worse position. I think by some other defensemen, especially that first goal when <clears throat> the Kings got that six on five advantage. But I do just think we just need to see better, more cohesive play. Darren Pang alluded to it. I've been talking to Jamie Rivers about it off the air. There is a change inside of their defensive zone play, and it simply hasn't gotten tightened up yet. They changed something from last year to this year, from a man to a zone system, and they're simply getting caught in the in, in between those two systems right now on the ice in these high leverage moments. So there is a X's and O's thing that is maybe not a problem, just needs to get more ironed out, and right out of the gate, that has to be something we see tonight. Coming up, Blues insider and writer for the Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, will be joining us to, to, to discuss what he thinks of the Blues kid and what they need to do going forward. That's next on the Opening Drive. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Michelle Smallman, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk to Blues Insider for the Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford. JR, how are you doing, sir? Doing great, Mr. Davis, Miss Smallman. How are you guys doing? We're doing wonderful. So we- good to talk to you, JR. Oh, so good to hear your voice. Yeah, good. <laughs> So, Jr., we were talking earlier about uh, Army coming to practice and and, and speaking to the team and um, Baruby yesterday potentially having some line changes. What do you think about the line changes for tonight, and and do you see that helping the Blues and in, in potentially winning the game? Yeah, I think uh, they make a lot of sense. Uh, typically, you don't see a guy jump from the fourth line to the first line like you're going to see tonight, uh, it looks like anyway, with Noel Achari. Uh, but I think the Blues are in a precarious spot where they're looking for effort. Of course, they're looking for goals. And Noel Achari is a guy who's been giving them a really good effort. And plus, he's a guy who has scored 20 goals in the league. So you're going to put him next to Ryan O'Reilly. And guys, one of the big things there is predictability. When Ryan O'Reilly is out there, he needs to know what he's going to get from the guy next to him, especially defensively. They're getting a lot of goals scored on them with Kairou on that line. I think Kairou is a minus 13. Uh, O'Reilly, I believe, is a minus 11. Uh, so they've been uh, on the ice for a lot of goals, and tonight they're going to get a guy in Achari who's going to help them, I think, defensively, and, and perhaps you know it could lead to some offense. Jerry, you've covered the Blues for a long time. You've covered Doug Armstrong for a long time. What's your interpretation of his comments and, and his behavior being at practice and whatnot over the past couple of days compared to the way that you've seen him in the past? 
Yeah, I go back to uh, even when Doug Armstrong was hired, and he, he was the kind of GM in waiting for two years under Larry Plow before he took over as the official general manager, and then, of course, uh, since then. And, you know, I'm sure he's had talks behind closed doors with the team. You know, I've heard about those uh, over the years, but maybe it's just been a couple. But to have one that was kind of so public and come out and talk about it, you know, I think says a lot what he thinks about the situation right now. And I think the one thing that he pointed out in just about every comment he made, Michelle, was we're just 10% into the season. You know, there's a lot of winning runway to be had here, but it has to get turned around quickly. And I know you guys have been talking about it. We've seen Blues teams that struggled for sure. and we. But what we talk about is what they need to do to improve. They need to... Uh, crash the net and get more secondary scoring. They need to have better outlet passes in the D zone to get the puck moving. I can't remember a time. I mean, you have to go back to the rebuild days, which really don't even count. When we're talking about an $82 million team up against the salary cap, given effort over a stretch of five games or so, it just doesn't happen like that. So I know you guys are talking about it. What do you want to see tonight? Like, it almost sounds like you're talking about a minor hockey team here, but you just want to see him skate hard. That's what you want to see tonight. And that shouldn't be too much to ask for. I mean, when you're a professional athlete, that is the the, the standard is to play hard and to play well. Um, and, and does it just simply start with just uh, O'Reilly talked about uh, he has to play better? Does it fall solely on the captain being better, performing well for the rest of the team to perform well? Yeah, so Kerry, this part is interesting because I realize that not everybody hears every interview every day with these guys, but it's kind of a running thing with the media here that are here on a daily basis that if you ask Ryan O'Reilly, you know, what color of shirt you're going to wear tomorrow, he will respond, I need to play better. I need to be a better leader. I need to, it just, it just happens every single day. And so he does. yesterday, <laughs> he does. And, and yesterday I asked Ryan O'Reilly that question. This was the question. What do you take away from Doug Armstrong's talk with the team on Tuesday? And about 10 seconds into his answer, he said, I need to play better. I need to be a better leader, so on and so forth. When I say that, when I point this out, I don't mean to say that you know, he's just giving you, you know, player speak there. He really means it. You can see it in his eyes when he says those things. But that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to be a leader. He wants other people to hear those words and know that if he thinks that he needs to be better, then they certainly need to be better. So, you know, I think even on nights when you don't see a lot of production from Ryan O'Reilly, you know he's given it his all. Uh, but trying to get this team out of this hole right now, I think you're going to see a real good performance tonight. JR, if I were to hear my captain speak that way, it would fall on the rest of the team to have to lift him up so he doesn't feel uh, the need to shoulder that much of the burden. Do you see that from the other players, understanding that you know Ryan O'Reilly is going to put this solely on him because he has the C on his sweater, but the other players have to have a part in that as well to make sure that they're not just letting the captain fall on the sword? They have to. You could get a five-star game out of Ryan O'Reilly tonight if the rest of the team doesn't. Uh, perform. Uh, Doug Armstrong might be back in the locker room tomorrow morning, <laughs> ready to, to find out what happened after that talk on Tuesday. So, so no, I think the guys know that. We talked to a few of the other ones, and even though their sound bites, you know, don't get played as much as uh, Ryan O'Reilly's, I think that was kind of the sentiment from a lot of players the past couple of days. Jar, how much did the Blues miss David Perron? Yeah, no, I think that's uh, something. And I know a lot of people maybe around the club would dismiss that or say, hey, listen, if we sign Perron, you wouldn't be able to sign Nick Letty. It was just a week and a half ago. Everybody was talking about how well Nick Letty played against the Islanders, you know, against Connor McDavid. That was a clinic. Uh, But, you know, there's something to be said on a couple fronts. If you want to play Pavel Buchnevich, 
Robert Thomas and Vladimir Tarasenko together, you have to have a top six right winger to play with Ryan O'Reilly. And David Perron for years was that guy. It doesn't mean that they put up 100 points each, but he was that guy. Those two were comfortable playing together. Listen, teams evolve, rosters evolve. We saw it, you know, David Backus moves on, Jaden Schwartz moves on, and you fill in the gaps, and you have to do that. That's why the Blues have had so much success under Doug Armstrong because he's continued to evolve the roster. And this this portion, this portion of the evolution was bringing up a Jordan Kyrou, sliding him into that spot. He put up 75 points last year. You think he can give you that again and moving forward. And you pay him, you give him the contract, and it just hasn't been there this year. And I think it's been frustrating for O'Reilly to go out there, as he said yesterday, and just not have anybody on that side to help out defensively. Uh, so I think you missed David Perron there. The power play has been decent, uh, but I think uh, David Perron could always give you more on that unit. But the one part that I can't answer, Michelle, is what does David Perron do in that locker room that could have been different, that might have helped the players uh, through this stretch. Maybe it's nothing, but I think with what we've seen, what we've witnessed over the years with him in that locker room, helping uh, stabilize that culture, keep it going, uh, that uh, certainly he is a guy who's missed. As always, JR, you have a great summation of everything that's happening with the Blues right now at The Athletic. And I was reading your piece this morning, and I want to encourage everybody else to read it, too, because you have all of the quotes there and, and just a great outline of everything that's happening. And one of my takeaways, JR, and Army has said this several times, is that it's not Craig Berube's fault, that he's not putting the onus on Craig Berube here. But he circled back and said, if it's not Craig Berube, it's the players. And if we have the wrong players, that gets back to one guy, me. How long do you think Army's going to have the rope be here before he's going to have to make a decision? Because I, I look back on years past and Army wasn't afraid to pull the plug on Mike Yo, even though that was his selection and his choice, and and put Craig Bruby in, in place. I guess I'm just wondering how long you think that that Doug Armstrong is going to let this fester before he does something. Yeah, I don't think you know unless something were to change drastically and this just hit the skids for you know, a lengthy period of time. You know, I don't think there's going to be any change with Craig Bruby. You know, a lot of times there is outside noise where fans, even the, some of the media are talking about a potential coaching change. You know, this is my 18th season covering the Blues, and with every coach that was let go, you could kind of feel it for three, four, five, six weeks. There were conversations if the Blues, you know, don't win uh, X amount of games or, or Doug Armstrong continues to see this or that, you know, something's going to happen. I haven't heard one peep of that this entire time. Yes, they've lost five in a row under Craig Burby, but it's, there's a reason why that's eye-opening because it just doesn't happen under him. And why doesn't it happen? It's because he's been a great coach. He just signed a three-year extension this past February, so it's year one of three. Uh, I don't think, as Doug Armstrong said, they believe that he's the issue, the system's the issue. So as far as Craig Bruby's future goes, I, I just don't see anything on that front right now. Uh, and, co of course, Doug Armstrong, he did point the finger back to him. Uh, he's not going anywhere. Uh, but if he gets to a point where he continues to see this, he's going to make some changes. Certainly, I asked him when that could be, and he said, uh, you'll just know. You, you'll, you'll watch on the ice. He said, you, the media, the fans, you'll just know if this thing is unstable, and that'll be the time to make the changes. The biggest question, guys, is does he make changes to – try to rectify and, and salvage this season and bring players in to help this season? Or does he start the rebuild? And he did mention that word the other day. Blues take on the Islanders tonight at 7 p.m. You can catch the pregame here on ESPN. Uh, Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitelli. JR, thank you so much for joining us. And JR, remember... It's the first 10% of the season. 
<laughs> long ways to go. You just reminded me I got a long season to cover. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> Have a good one, JR. I'll talk to you next week. All right. See you guys. Thanks. That was Jeremy, Jeremy Rutherford, Athletic Insider for the Blues. Uh, and it is. first 10% of the season. Relax. It's the first 10% of the season. There you go. <laughs> Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman. 101 ESPN. opening drive with Michelle Smallman and it is time for You're killing me Smalls I love that we've got to do this segment all week it's been so <laughs> fun well if you listen to character and Smallman you know my love for inside the NBA it's the best show on television hands down Indeed. and they always do something to make you think and to make you laugh and during the Shaqton a fool portion of the show Shaq did just that you guys, he was talking, and he, he took his shoes and his socks off, and he plopped his bare feet on the desk. And here's what it sounded like. All right, as a matter of fact. Can I get comfortable? Yeah. For the first shot in the food? Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, my God. Oh, man, let's go. Oh, yeah. oh you got to get the angle over here. No, no, you can be. No, we don't want dog, dog, dog. Jack, you can be, you can be ugly, but you can't here. be ashy right. and ugly. Come on. Hey, look at this, man. Oh, at, no, the other side, other no. side, other side. Come on, man, let's do it. Oh, you cross right yeah, in front of the camera. Look at Oh, my, America. Hey, left big toe. Hey, come on. Can we put a disclaimer up, America? Apologize. Oh, my goodness. the other one. The other one. You got it painted, Start the music. Start the music. You got nail polish on that thing? Yeah, come on, man. Come on, come on, man. America, I'm sorry. Yo, you have a crooked right foot? Yeah. You have a crooked right foot? I never knew that. Come on, man. Forget it. Come on, man. That's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. What do you mean, one of? Shacking the food. You mean there's more? Okay, a couple things. I love nothing more than Charles Barkley addressing America. America, I'm sorry. The way he says America is amazing. But if you watch this, Carrie, Shaq's feet are heinous. They are absolutely oh, repulsive. Man. They are cracked. The, the toenails are cracked. He had one singular toenail painted. I don't know why he wouldn't just get a pedicure and get all of them done. Mm. But it's a reminder that not only that dudes have disgusting feet and do not take care of their feet the way that they should, but that athletes specifically hey. and former athletes have really, really beat up feet. So I needed to bring this to the table and ask you about the grossest feet that you've seen in the locker room. I, I won't say any names, but I, I have seen... <laughs> I've seen a foot where the big toe went across, pretty much across the other four toes. How mm. it went, how it did that, and it was on both feet. Born in 1920s China, what it, the heck? it was. It was the strangest because when you're in, a, when you, you you get your ankles taped, obviously you sit down, you wait. There are guys in front of you, and you see some hideous feet. You're like, bro, how are you able? First of all, how do you walk, let alone run on those things? How do you put on a pair of cleats? How do you put on a pair of cleats? Listen, there are there are some things feet-wise. I had a teammate who was my locker mate, my brother. I love him to death. Had the funkiest feet you'll ever smell in your life. It, it was hideous to the point where the, the equipment staff would put the, the little shoe balls in his shoes every time. He, he never wore socks. He didn't what? believe in socks. His feet would stink. Did it he was, get blisters? All it time? was no. He was. He just didn't wear socks, and his feet were awful. And 
literally when you would come in the locker room, his locker was it was it was wretched. It was oh. awful the smell. So there are terrible feet, there are terrible smells, and the fact that those guys are still elite athletes with their feet looking the way that they do. Shaq is missing toes. He painted the skin. He didn't even paint. He didn't have a toe. It's not toes. He's missing toenails. He painted the skin oh where the toenail should be. He just painted the skin and just kept it moving. It, it, it's pretty terrible. Not great. Well, you know, we talk about the fingers. Like, we talk about Tory Holt's fingers. Yeah. We, we see yeah. athletes and their mangled fingers all the time. And I thought about this last night when I was watching. I, I thought, yeah, we don't ever really think about what their feet look oh, like. Yeah. And I, I bet most athletes have really brutal feet. The thing is, you get stepped on with cleats so many times. I got stepped on in a game a couple of weeks ago by a kid, and my, my foot has been hurting since. You get stepped on by people running full speed. Sometimes those people are 300 plus, plus pounds stepping on your foot with a cleat. It feels like it's being smashed. So, yeah, it, 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 is, a, it is a hazard playing professional sports and, and, and your feet oftentimes get mangled when you're doing that. What would you do if next week when Randy comes back in, he takes off his shoes and his socks and oh. just like Shaq, he wants to get comfortable and plop his feet up on the desk? The same thing Charles Barkley <laughs> did. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. So World Series Game 4 was last night. It's been a really entertaining World Series. One of the things we talked about over the past two games is the environment at Citizens Bank Park in Philly. It's been absolutely wild. And... You don't need Philly fans to turn it up a notch, but I thought this was a cool story. So Jamie Hoskins, she is the the wife of Reese Hoskins, Philly slugger, of course. She went to Citizens Bank Park on Tuesday and bought 50 beers for fans. And then she went back yesterday and tweeted out that she was going to up it. And she bought 100 beers for different fans in Philly before the game. And I thought just thought that was a, such a fun thing to do. And I'm kind of surprised that more people don't do stuff like that. If I was a player, I would be giving money in a Venmo to somebody and say, just buy random people some beers. Let's let's turn it up and get the environment more like a party atmosphere. And again, not that Philly needed it, but I just thought it was cool that Reese and Jamie Hoskins were buying people cold ones. It is. I, to, to, I mean, not, not that sure those Philly, Philly fans needed, needed any liquor no, they don't, <laughs> at but, any point but during it that game. It, it does make it better. Sauce. It does. Oh, yeah, listen. Not a little sauce. There's <laughs> a lot of sauce. They were already sauced walking into that place. Right? As, <laughs> as are all the light poles. Yeah, they Correct. are. Yes. Correct. Make sure no one climbs them. Yeah, that could either go one or two ways, right? You could you could add a little additional sauce, and it could be a fun story like we're talking about today. Or if things got really out of control, then people are looking at you. Why are you buying a hundred beers and getting everybody liquored up? It it is it is. I think it's a good idea. Anytime you're giving out free beers to a, to a group of people that have already had maybe a beer or two, you, you become a fan favorite pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's something you'll remember forever. Indeed. You're killing me, Smalls! And finally, guys, we talked about Ime Udoka, who is suspended right now as the head coach of the Boston Celtics, uh, coming out as the forefront, or excuse me, as the front runner for the Brooklyn Nets head coach coaching job after Steve Nash was fired earlier this week. And uh, a lot of us are wondering why it would be a situation where Ime Udoka would be suspended in Boston, yet whatever he did in Boston wasn't bad enough to, that would prohibit him from getting the job in Brooklyn. Well, Celtics guard Marcus Smart 
he's thinking the same way that we are. Here's what he had to say to the Boston Globe reacting to the report that Ime Odoka could be on his way to Brooklyn. He said, quote, obviously we wish he was here. We have no control over that. It definitely sucks. I guess it was deemed that whatever happened was enough for him to not be the coach here, but I guess not enough for him to not be the coach anywhere else, obviously. You know... he, he goes on and he says his name got slandered and slaughtered and it was he'll probably never coach again. And then a couple of months later, he's now possibly going to be the coach of one of our biggest rivals. It's tough and it makes no sense. It, it, I agree with you, Marcus Smart. It makes no sense because, as I said earlier, if a, if a player is suspended from a team, they don't get to sign with another team and start playing for that team. So was he suspended or was he fired? Was he suspended with pay? Was he fired with pay or given his salary a, a settlement? They said suspended. So for him to be in talks to become the next Brooklyn Nets head coach is flat out amazing to me that that you could be suspended from one franchise yet still have be hired by another franchise. Yeah, it really is a head scratcher, but I think we've seen in sports a lot of times that forgiveness comes quickly when when you think there's a chance to win. And maybe in Brooklyn they're thinking the outing of whatever happened in Boston and and frankly the public embarrassment of it would stop him from being a repeat offender but I just think we've seen so many times guys at the end of the day winning is the best deodorant it's all that matters and Brooklyn is a hot mess right now Yes. and so if they think that Ime Udoka can come in and make them a better basketball team it's disappointing but it seems like it doesn't really care what happened off the court yeah winning cures all that was your killing me smalls with michelle smallman we had greg amzinger on earlier and he then made a prediction about who he thought the cardinals could pursue this offseason we'll talk about it next on the opening drive you're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 espn presented by dobbs tire and auto centers Trey Turner, Trey, Trey, Trey Turner. It's first, the only, he's the only player I go get. You know, I put all my eggs in Trey Turner's basket. You know, I remember a couple of years back when Nolan Arnato was the third baseman of the Rockies. And I go, mark my words, Nolan Arnato will be the third baseman of the Cardinals. They will acquire Nolan Arnato. I'm on this show today to let you know the St. Louis Cardinals will have a new shortstop. I, I can't really say why I believe this, but I'm telling you this is why I, I believe it. Trey Turner will be the shortstop of the St. Louis Cardinals come opening day 2023. That was some very interesting – that was a very interesting take, Michelle. And uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of Cardinal fans are excited to hear that Greg Amzinger at least believes that Trey Turner will be the next shortstop of your 2023 Cardinals. Uh, my ears perked up. Indeed. not going to lie. Uh for a couple reasons. One, he would be a great fit for the Cardinals, and he's a great player, and I think a, uh, Cardinals fans would die to bring in uh, Trey Turner, who is a three hundred two hitter, who's who's uh, so versatile. He would be a great addition to this team. But it's Greg Amzinger who said it. Yeah. He's the guy who joined us for years, Carrie, and consistently said Nolan Arenado is going to be a Cardinal, and he called that one. And when Greg Amzinger says, I can't tell you how I know, but I firmly believe this— <laughs> This is a guy who's plugged in. This is a guy who talks to a lot of people throughout the league, and he must have gotten some pretty solid information to make him confident enough to come on the St. Louis airwaves and and make a proclamation like that. You know, I think it's part 
uh, information in part just Greg knowing things from <laughs> from some outside source that we don't know. He also predicted that Albert Pujols would hit 700 in L.A. around the date that he picked it. So, you know, he, he, he does, oh. yeah, he, he knows some things that we don't know um, via, obviously, his his intel and his his sources, but there are some things that he knows that we are not privy to regardless. So I, I, am, I am definitely excited to hear uh, that Trey Turner may potentially be you know, in the running, they may be someone who they think about bringing in to help this lineup. And I know uh, our partner, Randy Carricker, is the is the president of the Trey Turner fan club, at least the vice president. He, he may be the president, but he's definitely going to be excited to hear that, you know, if, if Trey Turner was to come here and help this team next season, it gives you more solid defense up the middle of the infield mm-hmm. and a viable bat at the plate that you know it can make some big time hits when the time is uh, required. Uh, just really quick, Greg also called that Albert would retire as a Cardinal for many years. There you so, go. So there's another feather <laughs> in his cap and for us to pay attention to the Trey, Trey Turner chatter. But, yeah, he would be an, an amazing addition to the Cardinals. I'm looking at the numbers. 302 hitter, 842 OPS. He swiped 230 bags throughout his career. Um, he is going to make your lineup better. Imagine not only having him in the infield with Goldie and Arenado, but adding him to that lineup. It, it would be an automatic upgrade for the Cardinals. And John Mozalek has come out several times and said that the payroll will increase. And if he knows that Nolan Arenado is opting in and th- that he has a finite window to win during the Goldie Arenado tenure, I would imagine that they would go out and be aggressive, and this is a great place to start. Yeah, when he said it, the one thing that came to my mind, and I'm sure many other Cardinal fans' minds, is what about Mason Wynn? I mean, we've been talking about Mason Wynn potentially coming up next season, maybe uh, maybe the season after, but just the 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 way that this young man has been projected to be uh the the caliber player that he's projected to be obviously you can never rely solely on prospects because you don't know what's going to happen you can base it off of what you've seen in the minors thus far but i wonder what that means for Mason Wynn if you do sign Trey Trey Turner to a long-term contract if he's able to get here what does that mean for Mason Wynn going forward the thing about the Cardinals carry is that we constantly talk about these massive prospects yeah, that are yeah. coming up how many times whether it's a you know a a everyday player or a pitching prospect. How many times have we talked about this? Dylan Carlson was the can't-miss guy. Oscar Tavares was going to be the next Albert Pujols. Now we're having those conversations about Jordan Walker. The Cardinals have done such a great job of replenishing their farm system that if if they really do think Mason Wynn is that great, if you have an opportunity to get a proven commodity like yeah. Trey Turner, imagine what you could do if you were to flip a prospect like Mason Wynn and sell high on him. Um, imagine what other pieces you could bring to your ball club um i would think that jordan walker might be the only untouchable Mm -hmm. in in the minors just based on everything that i've heard about him when you mention someone's name in the same breath as oscar Tavares and albert pujols i'm gonna think you're untouchable and i'm gonna gonna think that uh that's something that i should pay attention to but i think that the cardinals are in a pretty good spot then if they're looking at mason Wynn as the guy who could potentially um develop into a trade turner caliber player and you could potentially go out and get Trey Turner you're in a good spot but I would always rather go with a known commodity that I know can win now if that's indeed your goal to win now and move on from a prospect because prospects don't always pan out so so give me the proven commodity every day and you know what Randy Carricker said this a few weeks ago I know he kind of said it you know maybe a little bit tongue-in-cheek but (coughs) excuse me if the difference between Trey Turner 
and no Trey Turner is the potential of Mason Wynn. It's a pretty easy decision to go with Trey Turner. And then you can figure out what you want to do with Wynn. This is a guy who yeah. can figure out how to play shortstop and pitcher. I'm <laughs> fairly confident that he could figure out how to play left field or even, as Randy said a few weeks ago, maybe even center field with the arm he has and the fact that he's a legitimate athlete. Yeah. I don't. I'm, again, I'm not saying it's, it's 100%. I'm not saying it's, it'd be an easy switch. But if you can win a World Series with John Jay as your center fielder, there's no way you can't be a winning team with Mason Wynn also playing a little center field. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Now, this is where we stop because because we don't do I any John, John Jay, Jay no, slander. I'm not, I'm not slandering okay. him. I'm not, sl- I'm not, no, no, I'm okay. not slandering John Jay at all. So I'm just saying, like, World what? Series champion John yes. Jay. That John Jay. I some respect on his name. I, I literally brought him in as saying you won a World Series with him. And you said it's not, as I've been told many times I'm in my life, it's him. not what you say, it's how you say I, it. I'm not, I'm not hating on him. Again, I'm just saying that you, that clearly you can find guys who are athletes with good arms and you can play them in the outfield. And so I just think that that's the last thing I want to consider when we talk about Trey Turner. Let's talk about money. Let's talk yeah. about fit in the offense. Let's talk about AAV. Let's talk about you know duration of the contract, how old he is, what his numbers have been at, if it's, if it's sustainable across maybe a six-year contract. Those are the things I care about. We will look to the future and the potential position that a phenom like Mason Wynn's playing. We can figure that out in the, in the next 24 months. I got no problem with that. I also think about the appetite of the fan base, and this is a fan base that is getting restless, okay? Mm-hmm. They have not won in 10 years, and this season, I think, was so special and magical because of Albert and because of Yachty and Wayno. There was a lot of things at play here that I think makes another early postseason exit palatable. That's not going to play next season. It's just not. And when... You have a fan base that consistently shows up for you and that allows you to generate the revenue to expand the payroll. You have got to be aggressive. Yeah. You have got to go out there and deliver. And I cannot imagine, guys, an off season in which the shortstop market is what it is and a guy like Trey Turner is out there and the Cardinals don't go out and spend the money and then they try to sell it to the fan base. But we've got Mason right. Wynn. We're going to lean on the potential of another young player. Fans aren't going to buy that, and I think the front office knows it. If you're looking at uh, Nolan Arenado and his decision not to opt out, you probably feel very confident that there was a conversation and saying, hey, this is who we're going after. These are the players we're going to try to get, and these are the players that I feel pretty confident are are going to uh, be here in a Cardinal uniform next year. And I think, if I'm not crazy, I think Trey Turner may be a name that if you're Nolan Arenado, you may say, oh, Oh, okay. So if I if I don't opt out, we can we can use some of this money for not a problem. Let's get it done. And so yeah. that that does give you a little bit of confidence believing that the Cardinals have a solid plan going into next season to adapt and adjust and make this team much better than it was. It was very good last year, but even better than it was um, this past season going forward. And I, I think that a name like that would give Arenado a chance to say, hey, yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah, we, we don't need to touch the contract. Just go out and get Trey Turner. Yeah, <laughs> if that's what you want to do. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Uh, we got one more day tomorrow. Unfortunately, fortunately, you've been here all week. We're going to have you in again, I promise. I love having you on with us. Rocky O, thank you so much. Pleasure. Coming up next, we have a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax. That's next on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. 
New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.